spins a web any size. Catches seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpidermanCrawlspace.com for Christmas 2010. My name is John Wilson and I want to thank you for downloading this show. We have been on a bit of a hiatus for the last, oh, two months, for which I deeply and sincerely apologize. We, uh kind of ended off our first cluster of episodes in June and had a cut had about a month off there that was kind of out of my control. Well, this time I am not shifting the blame. I am taking complete blame for the delay with the show for the last two months. I just kind of got overwhelmed by school and it's partly my own fault, my own lack of study habits, and I'm determined to do better this next semester so that you don't have to suffer. But here we are back bigger and better than ever before for season three if you will uh season two was shorter than season one because of the writer's strike and we had to have that clip show in there where you know we need more negative emotions and uh, but now we're back and we're kind of resolving a cliffhanger here we had eddie d'angelini with us last episode talking about the molten man peter parker's graduation and the scorpion and now we're going to resolve the story of Eddie D'Angelini's time with the Classics Gang as we look at Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 2 and Amazing Spider-Man Issue Number 30. Our guest, in case you have forgotten, is the comic book archive researcher for the documentary With Great Power, The Stan Lee Story. He also has the claim to fame of owning every single issue of Amazing Spider-Man that has ever been printed, which automatically makes him my you know, role model and idol there, although um, I have the feeling that he has a lot more money than I have if he's bought all those books, because um, I can't afford to buy comics anymore. But be that as it may, before we get into the issues, we do have some emails that we're going to be doing, and... We have been recording the email segment separately from the main episode, and this email segment was actually recorded in October, right before Halloween, because that's when this episode was originally going to go up. So we have Eddie talking to us in September, the emails being recorded in October, and the episode being published in December. So it's a little bit of a time warp, you know, that we're going through here. And in gratitude for you staying with the show, this episode is going to be roughly uncut. Uh, I may do a little bit of trimming here and there, but I'm going to let most of the bloopers fly fast and furious and just let it all stay in there so you can see how the gang gets along. And that also means that it's going to be a long one. But really, really guys, I do want to say thank you for staying true to the show. Our listening audience has even grown while we've been gone for the last two months. We now have over 150 people who have liked our Facebook page. And we have over 2,500 downloads on episode one. That is amazing, that is humbling, and that is extremely exciting to know that you're out there, you're listening to the show, and you're liking it. Uh, I do want to say thank you, one and all, to those who have listened to this show. And if you are just hearing this for the first time and don't know where you can find us, there is the website amazingspiderman.libsen.com you can uh, look at postings for the show and find the link to the facebook page there 
where you can like us and get notifications for episodes as they come out. Also, have some news. Despite the fact that I'm so late getting this episode out, over the break, I am going to be busting out a whole bunch of episodes and getting them all lined up in a can. I already have a few. I'm going to get a few more so that production can proceed smoothly for a new weekly solo show that I'm going to be producing that is called simply Golden Age Superman. And it is about, you guessed it, the Golden Age Adventures of Superman beginning with Action Comics number one and moving forward. And as of those of you who are familiar with me and my personality know, I am extremely OCD, so you can believe that nothing is going to be missed in this endeavor, if I can at all help it. We'll be looking at the comics in detail. I'll be talking about um, alternate media as well as we come past it, although maybe not as much detail. And it's going to be a great show. Um, I have sent out the first episode to some friends as beta testers, and they have given me almost entirely positive feedback, so uh, hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. You'll be able to find the show at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com, but also at the newly formed Superman Podcast Network that my good friend Michael Bailey has put together over at his website. You can find that at www.fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork. That is also the home to several other good Superman podcasts that you might want to check out if you're a fan of the character, including my first and favorite show, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Now, I don't think I've ever mentioned it on this show, but I actually was on that show a few weeks, I guess it's been a few months ago now, episode 64 and 65, they uh, invited me over to talk about Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite. A story where post-crisis Superman is exposed to red kryptonite for the first time. And also the 50th issue of Superman, where Clark Kent finally proposes to Lois Lane. Uh, Those were cover dated November and December of 1990, which as it happens is also the same time frame when I started collecting Spider-Man off the shelves. Another show over at the Superman Podcast Network is the brand new Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by... Uh, Facebook friend Charlie Niemeyer, who's been a listener to this show for quite some time, and he and I have gotten to be friends on Facebook. His show is a simple premise, starting with uh, the end of Mort Weisinger's editorial role on Superman books and beginning just a few months before the uh, famous Kryptonite Nevermore story, and he's going to be covering all of these Superman-featured titles through the 70s into the 80s, ending with the crisis in 1986. So if you want to go over there and check that out, that is at fortressofbailey2.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork. Other news is that my other podcast, Teenage Wasteland, an ultimate Spider-Man podcast, which I co-host with my friend Zachary Henderson, has also made a comeback. We had a great crossover week with the fellows over at Clone Saga Chronicles, two of whom happen to be our very own Donovan Grant and Josh Bertoni, plus the several other guys over at CSC. We spent a week talking about the ultimate version of the Clone Saga, and then we're going to have more episodes of that show coming at you in January. And finally, before we get going into the emails, I want to remind you that Amazing Spider-Man Classics is brought to you by Roll2Play at Roll2Play.com, spelled with the number 2. They are currently running a 15% off of everything in the store until the end of the year to help you with all of your holiday shopping. One of their new products for December is Axis and Allies Europe 1940, a takeoff version of that classic board game. 
They are also available on Facebook if you do a search on Roll 2 Play, all one word, spelled with the number 2. And now, I present to you the email segment for episode 21 and then the main event with Eddie D'Angelini. And when we got to record this email segment, Josh and Don and I were sitting around on Skype getting ready to do it when we saw a good friend of ours, former guest co-host Brad Douglas, webmaster over at SpidermanCrawlspace.com. He joined with us to look at some emails and just kind of hash things out and have a good time. So he's going to be with us for the first little bit of the show, and then he's going to disappear into the ether as we get to the main segment with Eddie. And now we have some emails to read, and I have magically, using my Halloween powers, transformed Eddie D'Angelini into Brad Douglas of the Spider-Man Crawl Space. <laughs> wow, am I? I'm suddenly Italian. Hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> I think Eddie's Italian, isn't he? Yeah, Eddie's Italian. Okay, Eddie's forget about flip it. when he hears this. He's like, "What the heck? I don't remember this. I did a good Brad impression." <laughs> I'm inspecting this show for quality control. <laughs> and you all leave. fail. <laughs> so that's why I'm here. I inspect all of my uh, podcasts that are on my front page for quality control. So this is my appearance. All right. And you guys have passed very well. <laughs> Jeff John's podcast, you're next. <laughs> it's DC, so it's fail. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just don't. No, get... I love all my 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 spawn of podcasts. I don't know. They're not. Wow. Sounds like I need to wear protection. Oh, <laughs> Are you trying to say I'm from your loins? Oh my god. <laughs> well, didn't did you hear what Admiral Akbar's son said? What did, yeah. what did Akbar's son say? First he goes, "Hey son, it's a trap." Oh snap! <laughs> It's like the lamest made-up joke. I'm okay. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> oh snap! It's a trap. Oh, <laughs> uh, I got you. I got you. Okay, this is this is blue for a sec. Don't we have email questions, John? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Better jump right in because this is already a long episode. So, um, we have uh, a couple emails from Aiden Mohan. Is it Mohan or Mohan? We're going to go with Mohan, Aiden, and uh, correct us if we're saying it wrong. Um, Don, why don't you read the first one we have from him? All right. Hey, guys. There's a few continuity-related things I'd like to wrap up. The Ringmaster's next appearance in The Incredible Hulk, which I recently purchased at New York Comic Con, ironically, only a couple of minutes after having a five-minute discussion with Peter David. That's pretty legit. And it, the, the Ringmaster was trying to go straight. How long did that last? Um, I think, I think didn't, didn't uh, Mike Bailey mention something about that? When he was on? About the Hulk and the Ringmaster? Um, well, the Ringmaster had been in an earlier issue of the Hulk, but then he came back to haunt the Hulk again later. I don't think it lasted that long because they crash Hank and Jan's wedding. Whenever she's marrying Yellowjacket, Ringmaster and the circus crash that wedding. So if he was trying to go straight, it did not last long. Okay. Second thing he says is, the first Clone Saga cleanup was just a page full of text that replaced the letters in Amazing Spider-Man 153. I wonder if Steve Wacker was working in ASM that back then. <laughs> Don't you love letter pages that clear it all up because the previous 22 pages can't? It really annoys me whenever there's oh, stuff yeah. that they have to say that's not on the page. I well, know. They, they would have gone to Newsarama, but it wasn't around back then. So. <laughs> If only do, most of that cleanup was stuff like where did the jackal get the extra Spider-Man costume? How did he discover Peter's identity? 
why did Peter not rescue Ned Leeds when he was in the cellar with him? And they had to explain that that Ned Leeds was a dummy. It, it, it was little things, but... Oh, you're serious? Oh, okay, never mind, never mind. <laughs> yeah, okay. no, it's like, wow. in the Clone Saga, Peter, the Jackal is like, meet me at Shea Stadium, and he, like, closes the door, and Ned Leeds is sitting right there next to Spider-Man, and it's like, so why didn't Spider-Man take Ned Leeds with him? So they had oh, to say yeah. that, like, the Jackal, like, just, like, left an extra Ned Leeds dummy for no reason at all. Well, there goes my brain. On the discussion of Norman trying to find out who took the photos of Spider-Man, there was a short story in the Spider-Man anthology book, Untold Tales of Spider-Man, in which the Goblin tries to, fi- tries to, to find out who's Spider-Man and roughs up a teenager in a newspaper building, and Spider-Man comes and stops him. At the end, the Goblin goes, I'll try the bugle next. I have not read that. I have not read that either, but... When he says anthology book, he's not talking about, like, comedy. He's talking about, you know, those oh, novels? The, the prose book. I read that. That was a really good set of books, actually. Yeah. It was, uh, I don't think it was, it wasn't Untold Tales, though. That wasn't the title, was it? Yeah, One there was of two books. of them. One was called Ultimate Spider-Man. One was called Untold Tales of Spider-Man. And oh it was both, both prose books. Oh, okay. They're really Someone good. owes somebody some money. <laughs> Uh, he closes by saying, I really like hearing JR on the show. Is there any chance you can get him back for the Ramita uh, Goblin two-parter, please? <laughs> yeah, um, John. <laughs> <laughs> the fans demand it. <laughs> we are hoping to be able to do just that. I'm not going to commit to anything because, you know, stuff happens and schedules happen and who knows you know, what could come up at the last minute. But uh, we have spoken with JR. He does like the idea of coming back on the show. So if all works out, then we'll have him for the um, Romita Goblin two-parter. Tell you what, why don't we meet this guy halfway here? Instead of getting JR, let's let's pick another crawl space. Let's let's take Brad. And <laughs> okay, we're gonna meet him halfway. Instead of the Goblin two-parter, how about issue thirty-four with Craven? All right, so that's what we're gonna do for you. We're gonna get right on for issue thirty-four, <laughs> and we we did it instantaneously. You know. I'm glad Jr. and I are like chess pieces that you guys are moving around. <laughs> the king, the queen. Wow, that Untold Tales book that uh, we were just talking about, I looked up on Amazon, and you can get it uh, from a seller for forty-four dollars and ninety-nine cents if you'd like. And that has a story by Keith R. A. DeCandido. Mm-hmm. who is um, a awesome. favorite author of mine. We actually had him on an episode of Teenage Wasteland talking about Venom because he did Get some out Venom of here. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. listen to that. Is that episode 20, and uh, he, he's he a great a guy. Great- well, Aiden, thanks for writing that email. We had another one from you that you did, looks like, later that same day, um, and Josh has that one. Okay, Nick Fury's eye patch. Oh, yes. Hey again, y'all. On the subject of Nick Fury's eye patch, Nick's eye patch origin is the oldest comic I have, so I am well versed in this tale. His eye was injured in a cannon blast, and he was given two options. One, he could get surgery and his eye would be fine. However, he would have to sit out the rest of the war. Or two, he could leave the eye as it is, but eventually it would become completely blind and said eye. He chose option two, and shortly before S.H.I.E.L.D. was founded, but after the hate monger story, he went completely blind and said eye and put on the eye patch. Around that time, the Daily Bugle printed the obituary with the switch negative that led to the defeat of the nefarious chameleon. Wait, really? I thought that was just from the animated series. Sincerely, Dr. <laughs> Reverend Dr. Proctor Aiden M. Mohan, Ph.D. <laughs> yeah. I actually am very glad you wrote that. That's very cool. I did not know the story of Nick's eye patch, and I am very glad to hear that it did incorporate his random appearance in that early Fantastic Four story with the hate monger. Because I assumed 
that since they did the origin story in an issue of Sergeant Fury, that it would not have taken that into account. But it did, and that makes me happy. So, is yeah. Is he Hitmonger? Is he something, or does he just go around robbing people? He's Hitler, or a clone. Oh, okay. He, he was a clone of Hitler, um, trying to rouse hate against minorities. Oh, you're not serious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. okay, they later said he was a clone of Hitler, but it was really weird. Because, like, in at, in that first Fantastic Four story, I don't think they said he was a clone. They no, they did. Him, and they're like, it's Hitler! And, like, nobody says he's supposed to be, like, no explanations given. It's like, oh, so the person making all the hate was Hitler. Like, it's and, supposed to be some symbolic thing from poetry or something. And like, the hate is wearing a clan outfit painted purple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. For copyright reasons, I'm sure. This, this yeah. is canon. Yeah, purple okay. Ku Klux Klan is really Hitler, going by the name Hatemonger. <laughs> I want. Uh, uh, Everyone a worse knows that Hitler man. had clones. We're, we're blowing on. Don's mind over here. Don't <laughs> you know anything about science? Uh. <laughs> so, thank you very much for writing in, Aiden. We really appreciate those. We have an email here from Steve Rogers, and Steve, you talked about a lot of things on your email that not to sound rude just aren't really relevant to the show so i want to skip down to the last paragraph here where you're talking about the ads that are in the books and you say that one of the great things about michael bailey's two comic rundown and review podcasts is hearing what the ads are in the books and by the time he and scott gardner started with the jsa books you hear name brand ads specifically the legendarily goofy hostess ads I wonder when we'd start seeing them, and I mean brand name products, not just hostess snacks. You get a delight in every bite in the Marvel books. It does seem like the ads of these books are just for the 1960s equivalent of early morning paid programming infomercial stuff. And he has a PS. Finally, more JR whenever possible, please, especially when you get into the 1970s. As far as the ads go, I bring out the ones that stand out to me. And I do like a lot of the name brand ads that show up, like the Cheerios ad and stuff. And I'm sure that when we get to the Hostess Fruit Pies, that we're going to have to do something about that. But those are quite a ways off, and there's just a lot of weird stuff between now and then to be, to be talked about. So yeah, if I see an ad that I think is kind of cool, I'll definitely bring it up. And my main focus is the house ads, because I like to follow what else is going on around the Marvel Universe while we go through the Spider-Man stories. So I hope that answers your question. We have another email from Liam Elcote, and the newly transformed Eddie D'Angelini becomes Brad Douglas <laughs> is going to read that for us. I'm glad you said the person's name because I would have screwed it up. Uh, <laughs> no offense to Mr. Liam. The question, the aforementioned Princess Python appearances are in Matt Fraction's Punisher War Journal series, a series which strive to reestablish the Punisher as a character in the 616 universe after the Max series, and as such... Rammed all sorts of B-list, C-list, D-list superheroes into panels who could afford to have Frank Kiss, Frank Kissel, Frank Castle kill them off. Frank Kissel is his cousin from uh, Ireland. Uh, <laughs> basically, Stiltman has killed the number one, also early Spider-Man villain. The Tinkerer gets stabbed in the back in the same issue, and the number four. <laughs> 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 the number four features Stiltman's wake and has a brief guest appearance by Spidey himself. It's one of those dark, humored Punisher stories that's quite jarring. Anyway, number four, we find out that she was married to Stiltman. 
and she begins getting fresh with the gibbon. I hate when I get fresh with a gibbon. Obviously, she goes into the same school of inappropriate flirting as Liz Allen. Then later in the run, I believe it's number 16, wherein her python dies. I hate when that happens, too. And the gibbon <laughs> buys her a new one. It's a whole subplot. Now, to prove I'm not some mental Princess Python fanatic who is writing in fan fiction to you, which weaves her into the Punisher's universe, just look at this. She proves to be such a nemesis to Frank Castle that she manages to make the cover of an issue, which is Punisher War Journal, Volume 2, Number 16. And it's a great-looking cover. It's got uh, a python oh, around her neck, and it's got uh, a lot of cleavage. And uh, Yeah, a couple of really large reasons to like this cover actually yeah is that the uh the take advantage of the fact that she's a female (laughs) (laughs) like i could i could see like frank castle moving in on her and she's like time to take advantage of the fact that i'm a female (laughs) (laughs) and he like shoots her in the face like is that the kingpin in the background i thought that was frank but i honestly have no idea because i don't know unless it's jigsaw because of all the lines on his head he looks very jigsaw I, I really don't know Punisher stuff at I, all. I I read that book and I don't remember who the hell's in it, but I remember it was a pretty good issue with Princess Liam, Python. Write us another email. I can't believe this is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I why do they kill Stilt Man? I mean, come on, everybody because needs because he's stilts. a freaking Stilt Man, <laughs> dude. Well, I he guess has he the can power have a son. of stilts. He can be Junior Stilt. He can have a son. Well, there's Lady Stiltman now, so... I love how, like, Stiltman dies in the first issue, and then his widow is already flirting three issues later with Captain Furry. I mean, (laughs) of all the men to go after in your grief, the Gibbon? Hey, once you go Gibbon, you never go back. (laughs) (laughs) I guess not. You know, Brad, I'm just not going to ask you how you know that, so we're just going to uh, keep on going. I learned it from Josh. <laughs> Brad's, Brad's going as the Gibbon for Halloween. And I'm teaching classes. <laughs> $30 a session. So our next email is from The Gnome. Ooh. It's called Podcast. Donovan, you want to read that one? Just wanted to let you know that this old Marvelite is really enjoying these podcasts. Great interplay between everyone involved. I especially enjoy the acting out scenes. More of JR, please. Awesome. It's like a theme. Everyone's saying more Jr. Yeah, well, I I feel, I feel bad for Stephen Lacey and Bailey and Brad and all the other. It's like more Jr. Please, and then like trust like, me on my guys. show, they say more Jr. Also, <laughs> <laughs> he's awesome. I'm just worried that there's gonna be like a, a Jr. Revenge Squad. You know, Brad's gonna have a you know a bunch of the other podcast guest hosts with the hoods, and you know have like picture of Jr. on the table and stab him with a knife. All right. Any thoughts on expanding the classic podcast series by doing the Fantastic Four, X Men, etc. during the off weeks from Spidey? Take care. There's off no weeks. There's <laughs> <laughs> no bloody time. Oh. Ideally, if I had the time, I would love to have Fantastic Four. I would love to have an audio version of the X Men blog that I'm doing. Which, if you're not aware, I am super behind. I have not abandoned it. I'm just super behind. There is an X-Men blog where basically I'm doing this exact same thing, but shorter in written form for the classic X-Men issues. And that is at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com. And you'll see a link on the left for the X-Men blog if you just want to filter it down to that. So that is going. We've kicked around ideas of having a segment of other teams on here, but it's more reading and more prep time, and we just don't have the hours to do I have two college majors and a minor and two children and a wife 
who's working full time as a professor, which means bringing work home and doing it at home too. So my life is full. But if oh, any of you that, other guys want to go for it, shoot, go ahead. Oh, that Wilson luck. <laughs> <laughs> if you wanna, the caption box is set. And Aiden, we did get your link to the picture of Zelda in the Gibbon for the Punisher War Journal number 16. I will be putting that in the show notes just for anyone else who wants to see it. And our next email is from Adam Shiver. I don't know if your last name is Shiver or Shiver, but whichever it is, we have an email from Adam. Let's call him Adam Grant. (laughs) We're going to call you Adam. Let's call him Adam. (laughs) So so if we call him Adam Grant, that implies that he has a horrible future ahead of him. And Josh, do you want to read that one? Hey, gang. So I recently found the Amazing Spider-Man classics and have been feverishly making my way through them from the beginning during my morning bicycle rides. Just got to episode 7, where you all discuss the fact that the characters often greet each other with both their first and last names. I know, it's so weird. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think this comes from the fact that in the earlier days of the industry, creators felt that any issue could possibly be the reader's first issue. Using both the first and last name of the character during greetings would certainly help new readers learn the names of the cast of characters better and help the reader feel more attached to them in the story. Nowadays, it seems like the only jumping on pe- pe- points people have are relaunches of series or big events, which sometimes is not the case either 52 from DC. It'd be nice if comic book companies and writers took the time to make the medium more easily accessible to outsiders, but I digress. Sincerely, Adam Schiever. I agree, it's done for exposition purposes. It's just like, (laughs) it takes me out of the story for a second, you know, because you don't scream somebody's first and last name when they arrive into the room. But, I mean, I, I understand why they do it. It's, it's it's old school comics. It's like like with old school comics, there's like like a, a, a laundry list of things you just gotta get past. Yeah, <clears throat> I th- I think uh, the front page recap uh, is essentially the same idea or concept as mm-hmm. uh, re- repeating the person's name. Same co- theory. I like that thing that they had in the '90s, the late '90s, uh, where you opened up the comic and they would have this gatefold thing that had yeah character biographies for the characters that were relevant for that specific issue and recaps that had scans of the previous issues like previous I know exactly issues. what you're talking about yeah like, especially yeah. around like the post clone saga era yep. was that a commonplace thing in every monthly title yeah yeah even in, even in what if that's kind of crazy I mean that sounds <laughs> really awesome in what if had nothing to do with this issue <laughs> <laughs> They would they would be like in the original story, you know, uh, like uh, the Fantastic Four escaped from Tiny Town. But what if they didn't escape from Tiny Town? That's <laughs> that pretty was, awesome. I mean, that was a, that was actually a really dark story. Like everyone died because Ben Grimm. Did I knew you're going. I, I didn't read the issue, but I knew, I knew that's going to end up some, something twisted and stupid. Yeah, it, what if got really dark in those last days? <laughs> Spider Girl. That was the darkest story they ever did. <laughs> what if one of and uh, we have one about Hulk's skin color. And we'll take our uh, resident Hulk fan, uh, Brad Douglas, here. Okay. From Jack Bauer, even. Oh, Ooh, awesome. Jack Bauer's writing in? Uh, hey, guys, I was listening to episode 20, and you said that the Hulk was supposed to be green but miscolored gray in the first issue. But what happened was that he was supposed to be gray, but they couldn't get a constant gray. And in one panel, he was green. The issue stand decided, screw gray, go green. I uh, just wanted to tell you. Actually, I, I know this, the, yeah. the very first couple issues, he was colored gray. And right. then Stan looked at it and he said, you know what? This color kind of sucks. 
and the printing press and uh, the coloring of the 1960s was awful. So he wanted his monster to pop off the screen or pop off the page. So he says, what to the colorist, what do we got? And he said, we got green. So hence, now the Hulk is green. Yeah, I had always heard that he was intended to be green and that the gray was a mistake. So when I read this, I was like, no, Jack, you're wrong. But I went and did some looking, and sure enough, yeah, what y'all are, y'all are both telling sides of the same story, that mm-hmm. it was supposed to be gray, and the gray looked terrible. Another Hulk uh, skin color story is in the 1970s. Uh, uh, what was his name? The guy that produced the TV show, he did V. Anyway, he, he when he was producing the show, he was like, you know, Stan, the color of rage and the color of anger is red. Why don't we make the Hulk red for the TV show? And Stan and Stan vehemently said, "No, you got to go with green. Come on now." And, but uh, they ended up changing Bruce Banner's name to David Banner in the TV show too. So Kenneth Johnson and I know why. Kenneth Johnson, yeah. So they changed they changed a bit in the TV show, and um, it's ironic that within the last five years they came up with a red Hulk. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you know that um, in um, the Amazing Spider-Man and uh, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, yeah. they wanted like they 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 kind of wanted to like not change the origin but kind of skip it because like doing the whole Uncle Ben that may have been too intense for children audiences and Stan said no you you got to leave that in there. Yeah. Hmm. They true. skipped it in Spidey Super Stories. Like there's no Uncle Ben. Yeah. He just gets Ben and he's like I'm gonna be a crime fighter. That was based off of the '70s live action show. <laughs> That's where they got yeah. their material from. The final email we have is from Michael Bradley. He's talking about length. He says, hey, guys. Just heard episode number eight. I saw that coming. <laughs> That's what I she said. I, I pointed to Brad. Wow. And, and Brad started, you know, like, like, like loosened up his tie, you know, grabbing the microphone. Excuse me? Just heard episode number 18, where at the end, John asked what the listener thought about length. I don't have any qualms with the longer ones. Like you said, by the very nature of podcasts, I can stop and come back later if the show's too long, and I prefer to have to do that than to have something skipped over in an effort to keep an episode shorter. So, sure, just keep the shows at whatever length is appropriate for the material you're covering, just as you've been doing. Just as my two cents. Still enjoying the show, Michael Bradley. I tried to tried to turn the whole thing into innuendo, but it didn't work after two sentences, so I apologize for that. P.S. For what it's worth, I'm with Gerard. I'd guess Ditko did have a design in mind for Mary Jane, even if he never put pencil to paper on it. Uh, I really don't know. What do, you, what do you think, Brad? Do you think that Ditko ever had a design for Mary Jane in mind? Um, I don't know because all his – well, doesn't Betty and Liz and uh, Gwen kind of look alike, Ditko's girls? I don't think so. Personal. I think that the hair differentiates some of them, but Gwen definitely yeah. has like a different face in these early issues. But yeah, Gwen has I, a different face. I think that generally Betty and Liz seem to look alike until issue twenty-five when they're in the same room and their faces are right next to each other. He does make an effort to distinguish. She looks like a screen star. What issue was it that uh, she was hidden by a plant or something like that? Twenty-five. Yeah, <laughs> flower eating her face. They uh, issue thirty-eight. She's hidden by a tree. And she yeah, has I, big I, boobs in that one. <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't I don't think we're we were going to get an as attractive girl as we did with uh, a Romita Mary Jane bombshell. So yeah. who knows? And that wraps up the emails for this time. So I want to wave my magic wand here and transform our co-host back into his normal Italian every issue of Spider-Man owning self. 
and uh, we'll keep oh, on going. It's magic. <laughs> oh, no. No. Joe Casada, stay away from me. <laughs> ah! Oh, my ah! God. We're being attacked by red pigeons. <laughs> Damn it. Damn Here, I, better, bird, Janet. I better read the letter pages and see what happens to me and Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice one! <laughs> no, you have to check CBR. Oh, I'm sorry. I like it. I uh, like it lots. I like it long term. Now we have Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number Two. The big book of the year, released on August 1st, 1965, with a no-month 1965 cover date. Last year, we had the absolutely amazing debut story of the Sinister Six. This year, Don, what do we have? We have the first ever, or is it, crossover between the Amazing Spider-Man and the... What is, what is he called again? The Master of Mysticism? <laughs> Uh, Sorcerer Supreme, Master of Mysticism, yeah. I think any of those apply. Doctor <laughs> Strange? Oh, yes. In, in the story title, The Wondrous Worlds of Doctor Strange. Sounds like a and Doctor Strange book. We have a spot page that says, The Wondrous World of Doctor Strange. Again. Written and edited by the, the, by the toast of Marvel Stan Lee. Plotted and drawn by the Ghost of Marvel, Steve Ditko. Lettered and bordered by the Ghost of Marvel, Sam Rose. What? Ghost? Sam Ghost. The box reads, This could be called our Be Nice to Steve Ditko issue. We wanted to feature a really offbeat yarn for Spidey's annual, and Steve Arino dreamed this one up. The fact he also draws Doc Strange may have something to do with it. So ready or not, here we go! And I really do think that this is just a way for Doctor Strange to have an annual because he doesn't have an annual and he won't for many years. Um, kind of like whenever Spider-Man nosed his way into the Torches book for Strange Tales Annual Number Two. Yes, also figured this they, like they really try they really were trying to keep Steve Ditko from not quitting. <laughs> <laughs> Ditko, we love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's 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 some green. Right. Ah, yes. So, on a nice and quiet evening, Spider-Man is wall-crawling, trying to find some trouble, but being a nice and quiet evening, he just can't find any. So he starts swinging around, complaining, which typically gets him in trouble, but, we, but until that happens, we cut to a man walking through an alley full of crime, irony, as he observes a barroom brawl, and um, see if you can figure this one out in the dialogue. As he goes to the bar, he... When it's just two guys beating the crap out of people everywhere, and, and he says, Two savage bullies, powerful, rough, proud of their strength, and starting intelligence, mm, they will do just fine. And, uh, yeah. So, these two guys are pretty much done destroying the place, and nobody happens to call the cops. This man um, proclaims himself to be Zandu, and he says that they will, they will soon work for him. Before they, before they start beating him up, they start laughing. While they're laughing, Zandu turns them onto his, his mind spell. So automatically, they become mindless brutes, as if they weren't before, but even more mindless. They are invulnerable and have superhuman strength. They go back to Zandu's lair, and Zandu puts on a cape, and he keeps his monocle. But he puts on this very 
Flash Gordon-y kind of skull cap. Um, it's a Doctor Strange comic, so people dressed pretty funny. Speaking, speaking of Doctor Strange, we cut to Doctor Strange's sanctum. Actually, let me read this. And now, as you might expect, we turn to Doctor Strange as he silently studies a sacred scroll in his shadowy sanctum sanctorum. <laughs> you gotta love the alliteration. That was, that was like the, the strongest it's ever been, I think. On the surface, this is an ancient recipe for borscht. But if I read between the faded lines... Also, <laughs> suddenly, uh, the, two, the two brutes break into his house. Intruders, invading for my privacy. They show appear dearly for this affront. Strange tries to uh, put a spell on them, but because they're brainless, it, it doesn't work. He tries this multi-form illusion technique, but they still, they still go right after him and just like knock him out. They then steal what they were set there to steal, which is the the half of the wand of Watum. Well, they can see through his spells because um, Zandu is like his eyes are like peeking in through the walls, like watching everything, and he can see through everything. It's it's kind of like Loki did in the first Avengers novel, novel the first Avengers comic. So I'm not sure if uh, um, Zandu trained with Loki or not. Okay, that's the explanation. Let's go with that one. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's why. And well, you mean fine. the first I'll, Avengers I'll, I'll pop art? You mean the first Avengers pop art production? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was the first Avengers <laughs> pop art production. <laughs> yeah, all the, these are goofy looking eyes, like following everywhere, like staring at them. Do this, do that. Uh, so as as they they go, they steal the half of the Wanda tomb, return to Xandu's lair, and as. As they're leaving Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum, Spider-Man, still bored, happens to find them and says, well, they're obviously crooks, so let me follow them. When they return, no, no, before they return to his, his lair, Spider-Man jumps them and says, it's Spider-Man, but we come too far to stop now. He cannot, he cannot hurt you, smash him. Spider gives it all he's got, but his punches don't have any effect, and they just beat the crap out of him. Um, after beating the crap out of him, they return, to, they start heading back to his lairs, and Spider-Man throws a spider on the goons. Zandu retains the half of the Wanawat tomb, and his first act of vengeance against Doctor Strange is opening a portal, and with his mighty powers, he blasts a statue behind him. <laughs> like, did that bother no one else? Look at my power! I can destroy things! I don't know. Um, Spider-Man witnesses this, and before he has a chance to actually, I don't know, do something against Doctor Strange, Spider-Man tries to take the Wanawat tomb back. Uh, but before he can, Dandu chops him out of reality as a, a, a portal opens up. And Spider-Man is literally like, like it's almost like someone took a eraser and like uh, is erasing him away. But he's just fading, fading into um, a portal. It's it's like you see half of his body, and then like the second, like the lower half is like disappearing in, in a small little sliver. If um, for the, for those to visualize, before he falls through, he webs the the wand of Watum. And, you know, it takes it with him. Zandu flips out and tells his pals to go after him. And we get half, uh, an almost ha- half splash page of this wonky, crazy, ditko-y, science, magic-y, science-y stuff. And, and you know, Spider-Man is seeing all this wondrous, awe-inspiring, incredible, mind-blowing landscape. You can only say one thing. It's going to take more than 50 cents, 15 cents bus ride to get me back to Forest Hills in New York. <laughs> Not in Kansas anymore, Uncle Toto. <laughs> Uncle Toto. <laughs> well, this panel, though, I mean, this is classic, classic Ditko. This is um, this is what the artist was going for in the recent Spider-Man Fever trilogy that 
um, wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> That's already out in trade. Did you know that? So it's it's in trade. It warranted yeah. a trade. Well, yeah, I was, I was at the, I was at a Barnes and Noble on during the weekend, and like I was like, this is already on trade. Yeah, there's like two of them. Because I'm sorry, I, I did not care for Spider-Man Fever at all. <laughs> I didn't even read it. I don't think a lot of people did either. But he was trying to go for the Ditko, Doctor Strange, you know, psychedelic look, and I think Ditko just does it better. Yeah, It's going to take more than a 15-cent bus ride, but Peter, that's the least of your worries. You're in another dimension. Of course it's going to take more than a 15-cent bus ride. <laughs> Who also didn't take a 15 cent bus ride are the two goons, and they are fading into the reality that, that Spider Man's in. They they attack Spider Man, but Spider Man, who now has the Wanna Watch him, realizes the, the grasp of their powers, and he starts willing them. He doesn't really hurt them, but he doesn't wear himself out. <laughs> he doesn't wear himself out, just puts quite yet. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange comes to, and um, with his. Uh, uh, amu- does Amulet have, have a name? Who? Is everything has a name? The, like, his Amulet? The um, Amulet of Agamotto. The Eye of Agamotto. Okay. Yeah, that's what it is. The Eye of Agamotto. Right. Okay. Yeah, I know he has a lot of incantations that have like actual names. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to, for the strange fans, I'm trying to get it all right. Well, also, a lot of his incantations. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. A lot of his incantations, he'll call upon beings that Stanley's just making up words. Like he calls upon the power of Satanish to make Spider-Man vanish earlier and then you know down the road either stan lee or some other writer will decide to actually create a character with that name as if dr strange were actually calling upon these demonic forces and they become enemies like he was he was calling upon the dread dormammu from almost the very beginning before dormammu ever became his you know yeah chief nemesis (laughs) yeah it's actually funny that uh stan was talking about um when he used to do college campus uh, lectures back, like in you know late sixties, early seventies, and there would be college kids who would ask him questions about Doctor Strange, and for whatever reason, Doctor Strange and the Silver Surfer were like the two most popular characters on on college campuses at the time, and they would ask him questions about the incantations that Doctor Strange. Uh, would come up with and they said well you know we've been studying the ancient druid writings and looking for you know the uh, originations of his cantations and in this and that and stan would tell him look i'm sorry to burst your bubble but i just made all that stuff up because it sounded fun that's all <laughs> i thought stan would have like be the guy who's like well you want to know and i'll tell you but after that like like thanks Pull out like a gas <laughs> and then but like the cartoons are believer. crying. You mean there really is no wand of Latoon? I can't become <laughs> a sorcerer supreme. Ah, oh, but you've been a sorcerer supreme all along. You just had to have hearts. Lead away. <laughs> you carried the power with you all the way from the Munchkin land. <laughs> right, it was always inside of you. So Strange takes the Eye of Agamotto to seek out the the wand of Latoon that's been stopped. His hat has been stolen. We cut back to the fight in the alt- in the other reality, and as we see those big googly eyes again, Spider-Man fights off the two goons and tries to keep them from taking the wand. But before Xandu can give uh, a spell that can kill him, Strange across him saying, uh, "What he says, he says, once they retrieve it again, I shall bring it back from the beyond, and supreme power shall be mine once more. Never, man of evil, that while Doctor Strange lives." I thought that was a cool line. 
So Strange battles him with magic and, and more magic. But uh, because, of, because of the wand's powers, somehow, is, is it because of the wand's powers or because that guy's it's a good uh, um, magician? Uh, let's, let's say both. They got, they, they, in the ultimate reality, the goons finally man, managed to get Spider-Man. Mean, actually, lets himself get get overtaken so he can get back to you know the regular reality. But now to find a way to escape anew, they they t- they start beating up Spider-Man again, and Xandu actually overcomes Doctor Strange and shoves him out the window with, with his powers. Mm-hmm. Strange enters his uh, astral form and spies on Spider-Man taking a beating from the two goons and tells him to electrocute them. <laughs> as always. <laughs> It's always helpful to electrocute your bad guys. I, w- I must hope this 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 um, young young hero. I must do all I can to assist him. Quick, grab the bull and shock him. <laughs> we have to be careful when you're doing that to people in Spider-Man comics, though, because they might come back with you know evil star-looking oh. masks and electrical powers and. Oh man! Right, because this sure surely wouldn't kill them. No, 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 no. <laughs> because Nothing. it would. No, no, no. The Mac with Max Dillon, it was a mixture of the lightning and the power lines electrocuting him. Ah, see, see, God, don't you know your right. science? Yeah. So if, if they were holding like, <laughs> you know, a pet dog while getting electrocuted, God, then the dog the gets death. electric human powers. That's oh, right. he becomes electric human dog. <laughs> because nothing right. in stuff. the Marvel universe kills you; it just gives you magic power, uh, some type of superpower. What doesn't kill you? There's no death in the Silver Age except for origin story, you know. So that way we have names, right? I, well, Ben Ben it doesn't count. So if if Uncle Ben had been uh, hit by lightning while he was getting shot by the robber, killed by the robber, <laughs> with some kind of superpower, oh he would have had like electrical bullet powers or something. <laughs> he would have been Cannonball, the new mutants. And then, wait a minute, wait a minute, the irony, Peter's trying to hide his secret identity from Uncle Ben, but get this, Uncle Ben's also trying to hide his secret identity from Peter, and each one of them's wondering, little do they know what? that I'm a superhero. Whoa, what like marvel. they are no ordinary family. Uh, <laughs> see what I did there. There's a plug. <laughs> How much did ABC pay you for that? Which is actually on right now as we're recording this. I'm missing it. I'm going to have to catch it later. Dude, I'm just imagining Uncle Ben being electrocuted as he gets shot, like randomly. What, what bad luck he has. Aunt May would have like a heart attack. <laughs> Peter, your Uncle Ben was shut. Oh my god! And then he was struck by lightning. Oh no! And then a truck backed up into the house. And- <laughs> <laughs> Is there no way to this? And, but and then the truck caught on fire and burned his corpse. It sounds like a Kenny Death fell scene off the Park. truck on top of him. And then a meteor. <laughs> so yeah, your Uncle Ben's not coming back. Bad news, son. Your uncle was shot and executed and ran over, murdered. Wait, 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 wait. Uncle Ben? No, I know we should have had a sunroof. Right. You said something a minute ago, Eddie. You said something a minute ago, Eddie. I don't think I heard it. Oh, I was drowned out. Uh, something about when the truck backed in and hit him, and radioactive material fell off. Bitten by a radioactive <laughs> kitten. Everything all at the same time. This sounds like a really prolonged Kenny death scene on South Park. And Uncle Ben, you killed him, you bastards! And I would have convinced Storm to make lightning go somewhere else, and I would have been, wa- and I would have made that stop sign get erected in the street like I was supposed to. <laughs> so then the truck never would have crashed, and then I would have installed fire extinguishers in the house so Uncle Ben catches. It's all my fault, all of it. 
I don't even know where we are anymore. At some point, Uncle Ben has got to be looking down at the Marvel Universe in the 60s at everybody and thinking, isn't that some dumb luck? That guy gets hit by lightning, he gets superpowers. That guy gets shot, that guy gets dumped by radioactive waste, whatever. All these people, they don't die, they get superpowers. I get shot, I die. That that guy fell off of a a missile in 1944, whenever I was serving in the war, and he gets to come (laughs) back 40 years later. And he comes back. There I am, I'm still waiting to come back. I want to be a winter soldier for the communists. There's a waiting room in the Marvel Afterlife, and it's like, Harry Osborn, you're up. And Ben's like, oh, come on! I was was here way before he was. Harry Osborn gets up there, and they're like, they're both holding their numbers, and, you know, Uncle Ben's number is four, and and Harry Osborn's is, you know, 5,723,802. He's like, oh, look, there's Elvis, and he switches the numbers. I can see, I can see Harry like walking by him, laughing, just chuckling, going, "Yeah, better luck next time, Gramps." Then no, no, he says, "Gotcha." <laughs> At least I'll always. Have you. <laughs> At least I'll always like have it. you, Bucky. Well, actually, there's this Winter Soldier story. What? You get to come <laughs> yeah. back? No, no, no. Well, what is? And then, like you know, and then he gets happy because he gets these conjugal visits from Aunt May because she dies every few years. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like conjugal vip, but then she comes back, so he's left alone again. It's like so. Uh, hey, May, but you know what? Who knows though? Maybe he just tells uh, Aunt May, you know what? Uh, s- stay home this month. Me and Gwen, we're gonna have some time to ourselves. Oh, wow. and, stuff. Uh, <laughs> and there was that he thought it was May, and then the next morning he found out it was just an actress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, he always knew. Yeah, he's like actress, mattress. I don't care. I I need some company up here. Every this is like everyone leaves except for you know like Gwen. She just sticks around. Well, the actress had a lot. My like, brother. The actress had more moves than it may usually has. So. My brother gets to come back. Oh, he's a robot. Yeah. Well, there was that friendly neighborhood story, but that was like an evil Uncle Ben from another dimension, and he had a gun, and he fought the hot. It was really weird. Okay, oh, I've never even we are heard of that. We are so you, far away. Oh, you never saw that the is- return of Uncle Ben and Peter David's friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? No, 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 I didn't read it. Aunt May's, Aunt May's like on a date with Jarvis and like Uncle Ben looks in the window like a puppy dog, like all sad. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's like two Uncle Ben's and like one of them's from a reality where like May was shot instead of uh, him and then like one was evil and one like shot the other one and re- it was Check. It's Peter David though, so it's cool. So check it out sometime. That story wrapped just in time for the unmasking, and then from the neighborhood started doing you know Peter Parker unmasked storylines. Meanwhile, all this time John is just sitting there thinking, "I would like to go to bed sometime this week." You want to start? We're not going to. I'm not. I'm good. I, I'm up until whenever. Okay. This, is, this is prime blooper material. Uncle Ben's heaven adventures. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine every time a number is ready to call up, he just grabs Gwen's hand, just holds her back. On, You're not going on. anywhere. You are not going anywhere, lady. <laughs> you know the rules, Uncle Ben and Gwen Stacy. We don't come back. <laughs> Uncle yeah. Ben, Gwen Stacy, and Bucky. Bucky, your numbers. Uncle Ben and oh. Gwen Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> not only that, but Bucky comes back and is like the most highest selling, you know, Captain America story in years. And Jason Todd. <laughs> I didn't want to come back. I really didn't. 
I'm the Red Hood. I'm not the Red Hood. I'm a piece of blob. I'm Nightwing. I'm Red Robin. I, I, I just want to <laughs> get some rest. It makes a deal with St. Peter that like he only comes back if it's going to be a good story, and St. Peter turns out to be the devil in disguise, and he sends him back anyway. You will be written by Judd Winnick! <laughs> 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 So okay, so, so, so um, something about Doctor Strange. Yeah. Okay, um, Doctor Strange, after telling Peter Parker to electrocute people, he jumps back into his body. Now, <laughs> yeah, I, just, I, just, I was lost and then I was found. Now, Spider-Man and Strange are front Xanadu two-on-one. Strange shoots him with magic bolts and, and spells. Spider-Man shoots him with fluid. And together, the two are triumphant and take back the Wanda Watoom. Spider-Man gives the Wanda Watoom to Doctor Strange, and Doctor Strange drains it of all his powerful powerful energy, so it's now just a simple wand, useless of anything. The day is saved, and as Zandu is mind-wiped and turned good by Doctor Strange, believe me, I'll talk about that later on, Doctor Strange flies off, saying, You've been a powerful ally, Spider-Man. I hope it was wonderful fighting with you. Yeah, same here. May the better shot you watch over thee. And here, never tickle. The only thing wrong with this evening is when I wake up tomorrow, I won't believe a word of it. The end. <laughs> can you say, before we go on, can you say, and your mayor, Amlet, never tickle because it cut out? And I want to get that on the line. Okay. <clears throat> and may your amulet never tickle. All right, good. Wow. Um, this is a really strange story. That it has tickled. Oh, it's a strange. Oh, actually, I had no intention whatsoever to say. Oh that. yeah, no, that's not right. <laughs> yeah, totally sure serious. Okay, um, I would ask you what you think of Doctor Strange. I, my impression is, is that this story is actually pretty typical of Doctor Strange of the era. That as crazy and far out and weird as this is, that it's not that strange for his kind of stories. Again, no pun intended. But what do y'all think of all, all this shenanigans here? Eddie, you go first. I this has Ditko written all over it. I mean, this is like uh, total Ditko from beginning to end. I've never been a huge, huge fan of Doctor Strange because um, I've always preferred characters that have to think their way out of a situation like Spider-Man always does, rather than just. Um, you know, shout out a few incantations and boom, they save the day. But the thing about Doctor Strange that is so cool is Ditko's art, because I do have a lot of early um, Strange Tales issues with the, uh, you know, where half of the book is Doctor Strange. And the art that you see here in this uh, annual is very similar to Ditko's work in, um, in that. And in fact, those issues of Strange Tales, as um, the series progressed and Ditko's um, work, I think, improved on uh, Doctor Strange, it gets even more trippy than what you see here. When he introduces, uh, when they introduce characters like um, Eternity and things like that, it's just really way out there. And it makes me laugh. I think we mentioned this before. It makes me laugh that all the hippies in the 60s loved Steve Ditko while he was so straight laced and so right wing they all loved him i just i find That's the irony of that so humorous <laughs> yeah cuz he he was completely not what they stood for yeah 
I really the Infinity War was raging whenever I was really into comics, and so I read all those books, <laughs> and I saw Eternity, and um, the the Tribunal. Does he have an adjective before his name? The guy with the, the three tribunal. faces and two of them are hooded. The Living Tribunal. The Living Tribunal and mm-hmm. Eternity. And I've always been intrigued by those characters. And I found out you know, in the last year or two that they were introduced in Doctor Strange. And that gives me even more reason to want to read those stories because you know, huge cosmic you know, uh, universe-moving characters like that, I want to know more about them. So I, I do plan to read more Doctor Strange, but I, I do think it is rather – I don't have another word for it. I don't want to say wonky because I always say wonky. So the only other word I have for it is strange, and that's what it is. Um, <laughs> before we get into like specific notes, um, Josh or Don, does either of you have a uh, like general responses to this story or Doctor Strange? I've never been a big fan of Doctor Strange or Doctor Strange stories. It's – I kind of like that the two characters are linked because they're both like, you know, Steve Ditko characters. So I like that the two of them have that connection and that they're reoccurring people in the other's lives. But you know, your microphone, I'm sorry, but your microphone is really quiet, Josh. I don't know if you can up it a little bit. Uh, that sucks. Uh, let's see. Let me. It was quiet earlier and it gradually got louder, but it hasn't been any louder while you've been talking. Yeah, it's probably leveling itself or something. How like I'm speaking up a little bit now. How do I sound? A little bit better. Okay. Um if it my microphone's actually falling apart. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Is it like how the last 30 40 seconds been? You actually just came in. Go okay, go ahead. So you're saying how the last well I was going to say how the last 30 40 seconds been, but you said I just came in, so that answers <laughs> my question. But how is all that just now? Go you, you, yeah, it sounds good now. Go ahead and continue with what you were saying about. Yeah, I've just never been a big fan of Doctor Strange stories. It's not my type of stories, and this wasn't really one of my favorite Spider-Man stories. And I, I never usually enjoy reading it that much. And for it feels like it was an issue of Amazing, where they just took out a two-page scene at the high school or the Daily Bugle and put it in the annual because it's the length of an average issue. And it's nothing like real spectacular, no pun intended, like the last annual was. And there's no cameos from half of the Marvel Universe. Right. But there always is. Yeah, that's true. There's not even anything. Not even, uh, you know, Jonah, Aunt May, nothing. You don't even see Peter Parker. He's always in his costume. That's true. Yeah. I would say this was an opportunity for Ditko to go all out with both of his characters he was doing for Marvel. Um, and yeah, Doctor Strange did have a lot of followers, and so it, it kind of has some plus for that. But um, aside from those aspects, it's not that remarkable of a story. Last year we had the Sinister Six, and all of Marvel showed up. Next year we're going to have him trying to join the Avengers and fighting the Hulk. I mean, those are those are huge stories. Those are to me annual worthy. Um, this one, again, you could you could argue it because of it being Ditko's two main characters. But other than that, it's just kind of. Just kind of there. I agree. Uh, well, it's not very. Uh, I don't think it's very well. Not not. I, I think the plot is just way too, uh, way too typical and, and kind of like just stagnant. Because it's just you know them trying to find a, find a sorcerer. The sorcerer isn't very interesting, and uh, the, the the encounter between Doctor Strange and 
and Spider-Man is just kind of a team-up, you know. They don't really complement each other that well in this issue besides just Team to fight the bad guy. I, I actually kind of like Doctor Strange. I don't read his comics. And I think I probably would be bored if I did. But whenever I see him, wherever he shows up, I, I kind of do. I do like him. I like his origin story, and I, and I think he's a pretty cool design. I, I like him as a character. So he's like one of those guys, if he shows up in anything, I'll be like, oh, that's cool. That's mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, this, this, issue, this, this issue as an annual is kind of like a letdown in terms of, it's just, you know, I guess at the time it was big because it was Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, team of the first time, two of Dicko's, two of Stanley and Steve Dicko's biggest characters. But um, as it stands, I don't, I don't think this holds up is any more than just, just, than just a 60s comic book. Yeah, there's two things about this particular annual that I think uh, stand out for me, and it's really it for me. Ditko's artwork is, I think, really good in this issue, mm. with the whole otherworldly, trippy, psychedelic, uh, other dimension scenes. And the fact that the original issue, the original uh, annual number two that I'm holding in my hands, was actually an early birthday present to me from my wife before we got married. So, oh really? Yeah. So it holds a little special significance in my heart. She's a keeper. That's pretty. Definitely. Neat. There's actually been quite a few things that she's bought for me over the years as presents. She got me uh, Amazing Spider-Man number twelve. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I just remember our episode covering issue twelve. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> so do I. So uh, does Betty, Marvel- and she'll never forget. <laughs> <laughs> She's still in the shower trying to wash herself off. Awesome. <laughs> um, Scrub away the shame. Marvel Team Up number one was another early gift that I got from her. Sexy sweaty shit. Uh, Marvel so. Team Up number one, yes. Yeah. So that's, that's gonna the main be... reason why I think this issue really sticks in, in my head for me. John's going to go to bed tonight and like turn and look at his wife and say, how come you don't buy me vintage still Silver Age comics like Eddie's <laughs> wife does? Actually, she just walked into the room. Hello? Hey, Bess. Oh God! How come you never buy me Silver Age Spider-Man comics like Eddie's wife does? She just flipped me the bird. <laughs> <laughs> she's like that. She's like, screw this. I'm calling Mephisto. Hey, oh. you, you still annulling marriages? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was good natured birding. Just so you know, she, she was smiling as she did it. So. Um, oh, she was smiling as she told you the go. <laughs> as the bullets riddled my body, she was laughing maniacally all the while. It's <laughs> just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> so, um, looking Although, at. Although, if lightning struck you while she was riddling your body, <laughs> who knows what happened? Team up and like. And she's holding a bag of Fritos at the same time. I could come back as you know fried. No, never mind. I don't know. You don't understand Lee half the time, so okay. So this cover, what do y'all think of this cover? It's a yellow background. It has Spider-Man standing to the right, and then his head floating midair to the left, and then lots of little Spider-Man. It's kind of like what Stephen Lacey was imagining whenever he was, you know, after three weeks of staying awake, crawling all over the place. What do y'all think of this? Uh, Aside from, I kind of think it's a little. a little, a little, not less than creative, but I always love the pose that will eventually become like in the top left of the comic. I really uh, yeah, like that. Yeah. That is a great pose, but this cover looks like obviously the fact that it has nothing to do with the story inside. It looks like an unused pinup that they just plucked 
to throw on the cover because maybe they didn't have anything, you know, in time for print. Mm-hmm. That that's my guess because it just really does. It just doesn't mesh. And there's no Doctor Strange in the art. I mean, he's in the title. Exactly, and there's no Doctor Strange on the cover. You think you would want to promote the fact that you've got, you know, <laughs> two of Marvel's main characters in your book. So that that's my guess of what the explanation of this cover is. Maybe this is a second cover. Maybe there is actually an unused rejected cover that had more more going on on it. That'd be an interesting plug and that um, would be interesting because i would think that this one would be the uh the unused rejected cover well except that like uh, issue 10 girl named lindsay um who emailed us about yeah yeah issue 10 yeah yeah lindsay emailed us about issue 10 um where they had the uh the unused cover that actually had a whole lot going on action wise between spider-man big man and the enforcers and that was rejected for whatever reason yeah as opposed to what they really used which was kind of odd right yeah. and they have that spectacular splash page in there with spider-man you know in the middle of listening to lucy in the sky with diamonds it's i mean something like that would have been an awesome thing oh that would cover. have been a great cover yeah yeah people would have been like oh what's that you know I'll, I'll buy this this is cool you know yeah it would have been a classic cover like that people would have remembered for ages but no well you got generic spidey poses and who knows why this one was used, because Ditko won't say and Stan can't remember. Right. So um, I'm going to go through my notes. And as we go through, if y'all want to interject your notes, like if I'm you know, on the page and you have something to say about it, that's fine too. Um, it's my attempt to kind of do this in an organized fashion, although if we derail and just go off all over the place, that's fine too. Three hours later, we're talking about Nazi zombie strippers. <laughs> how, how on earth did we get here? How did we get here? I so, was just saying that the art looked good. I think this splash page would have been an excellent cover, actually. Um, yeah. That's an amazing splash page. It's just... It has everything that's cool about Doctor Strange and his parallel dimensions, and then Spider-Man perched in the middle of it, ready for action. I, I just... I love that splash. I agree. Yeah, it's it's really um, it, it it's it's nonsensical in the in the best way possible. Right. In terms of like, like you know like he's standing on he's standing on on an interdimensional globe. When we actually get into the story, Spider Man is going through what I call issue three syndrome, just wandering all over the city, wishing something bad would happen to him. So that he could stop it. <laughs> and he really needs to stop doing this. Because, you know... we get his girlfriend killed. He might get his girlfriend killed. <laughs> and we don't really want Peter to get in any trouble. Because trouble starts with T, which rhymes with P, which stands for pool. Which is where we end up in the next page. That stands pool. for pool. Surely got trouble. It? Yes, we got trouble. Right here in River City. Right here in River City. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in that town was on drugs in that movie. Which town is that, Josh? River City. Is it Gary, Indiana? No, River River City. They sang a song about Gary, Indiana to Ron Howard. And okay. it, somehow, it somehow inspired him to become a famous movie director. And Shirley Jones was a librarian, and she hated that. So she like had 90 kids and you know created a rock band with them. This was before all that. We, we've already the, done it. 
None of you seen the Music Man? No, no, I've seen the Music Man. I haven't. That's why I thought it was Gary Indiana. Gary Indiana. Gary Indiana. It's about this swindler who like goes from town to town scamming people out of money, but he finds a town that makes him scam his heart. And he he's a what? He's a what? He's a music man with the big breast brace, big breast brace, and the piccolo, the piccolo uniforms too. He even got a Jew's harp. Sorry, never mind. A what? It's all good. No, no, that's a song from the movie. Chick little, talk little, chick little, talk little, chick, 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 talk a lot, talk a little. Okay, so speaking of the Nazi zombies. <laughs> yeah, because I. Oh, just like Donovan, this is just like the amnesia thing. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, no more obscure references to culture that, um. Well. Real, 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 real quick, real quick. Like, like, if you've seen like, the monorail episode of The Simpsons, that's, the, that's like ripped off from the, mon- from the music, man. Oh, uh, okay. Wow, that episode. Yeah. Um, he's with the city song, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> page four, we have these two numbskulls uh, who get zapped. And I, I, the grammar Nazi just showed up because page four, um, panel six, uh, it says... Let me get the right... One, two... Oh. Page four is the next page. Okay, then, satisfied with the result of his hypnotic handiwork, the man called Zandu walks back from whence he came. Uh, the word whence literally means from where. So if you're going to say whence, you don't need to say from. You're, literally, you're actually saying walks back from from where he came. But, you know, that's just you know my little nitpicking that I have to do with. Yes, but if Stan is going to write a sentence and has a choice to write it with five words or 15 words, he's going to go for the 15. <laughs> and try to make yes. as many of them start with the same letter as possible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, on page five, we have Zandu getting the wand of Watum. I don't know if it came out in the recap, but he already has half of the wand and he wants to go get the other half. And he has learned that Doctor Strange has it. Now, what will come out later on in Doctor Strange history is that he actually had both halves. He got the Wand of Watum and broke it in half and put them in two separate hiding places. So, you know, in the in the unwritten histories here, Xandu actually went and stole the first half of the Wand from Doctor Strange. And now later on he's like, oh... I just found out Doctor Strange has the second half of the Wand of Watum that I must go and steal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just saw that. <laughs> and, uh... Well, he, well, he has it... This, this is, like, my big note, like, because this, 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 this episode is, uh, ripped off from the... Not ripped off, but it's, adapted, it's quasi-adapted in the, in the 90s show, the third season premiere. And he had, like, like the Wand of Watum stolen there, but he doesn't, like, like make it useless. He kind of just takes it back. That that is barely an adaptation. That's like that's more the cult of love than this. And then like, no. Well, it's there a very loose adaptation. Very loose. I mean, I mean, it, it very loosely like, like the very next episode with uh, you know the kid called Spider-Man. Mary Jane joins a cult led by Baron Mordo because she thinks that Baron Mordo's her absent father because he's like casting illusions and. She goes to Dormammu's dimension, and Dormammu also pretends to be her father. And oh, and Mary Jane can fly. 
I think she's used oh, a laser oh, too. Oh, and she's she's just like a ninja. Yeah. Come to me. Um, she, she, she she can fly. Yeah, and um. Yeah. <laughs> but it's okay because because at the end, uh, Spider-Man does use the "May your amulet never tickle" line. So yeah, it's an adaptation, you know. So this they're exactly alike, you know, right down the flying Mary Jane and everything. Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the first shot of the episode is Mary Jane flying. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but Josh, you said, very... may your amulet never tickle at the end. Come on. Yes, he did. It's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly like it. It doesn't have googly eyes, which kind of stinks about it. So I know none of us has really read that much Doctor Strange from this era, but whenever he first makes his appearance in this book, he says, on the surface, this is an ancient recipe for borscht. But if I read between the faded lines... And this is obviously a comedy line, but I'm wondering, like, how much of this sort of thing Stanley throws into the regular Doctor Strange it's, book. Every issue starts it's, off like what? It's that it, it's it's if I read between the lines, it's what an ancient recipe for what hummus. <laughs> we'll never know because suddenly hello, his keen ears. Oh, oh hello, Wong. Is it what? <laughs> it's an ancient recipe for what does it say? Marrow. Oh, hello, Wong. What's up? <laughs> hey, Wong. <laughs> <laughs> we shall never know what it really is. Was Wong in the books by this time, or was he introduced later? Uh, no, if I remember right? correctly, he was introduced a little bit later. But don't quote me on that, because while I've perused some of the early Strange Tales, Doctor Strange, I've never actually sat and read them in continuity. Uh, Strange hmm. Tales 110. He was there from the beginning. Not very oh, often. Really? Okay. Uh, 110, nice. 116, 119, and then not again until 147. Uh, well, I stand corrected. God bless the internet for making me look stupid. Thank you. <laughs> God bless your stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> there, are no, there are no such thing as stupid people, only really stupid things you can say. <laughs> All right, I've done tons of, plenty of that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of things that people say, Spider-Man has a line in here. Uh where he says, just like old times, Doc. Yep. And I guess Kurt Busiek took that line as saying that, oh, well, this is not actually their first meeting. So he did, sometime in the late 90s, um, a Spider-Man Doctor Strange one-shot under the Untold Tales banner. I think it was called Strange Encounter or something like that. Where and that was- we are one hour and 14 minutes before <laughs> finally the Untold Tale reference comes up. <laughs> Yeah, was that uh, drawn by Steve Rude? I think so. I, 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 again, I'm not a big Doctor Strange person, so that one was never one that I like devoured as much as the other Untold Tales stuff. But like, I mean, I guess reading this story, you can kind of interpret it as Spider-Man and Doctor Strange are not familiar with each other. But there's nothing in here that would explicitly tell you that they that they have met before or haven't met before either. It can go either way. Yeah, the only thing we've seen on the page so far. Go ahead. I was going to say we ought to start a pool to see, you know, for how long it'll take Josh to bring up Untold Tales, or uh, hey kids, drinking game. Every time Josh uh, references Untold Tales, well, you won't (laughs) get drunk very often on that anymore because we've actually finished off Untold Tales. Yeah, I was going to say the frequency with which it's going to come up is probably going to decrease. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that era is mostly done. I mean, the, the, there will probably be a, a slight reference here or there, but it's mostly gone. The last well, issue took place. Um, 
given that Josh is always referencing it, I, I'm not familiar with the series because I didn't read a lot of stuff that came out in the 90s. But because you were like constantly talking about it, it made me go back and start reading it. So, As you awesome. should, because it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I agree. I, I just started reading it, but yeah, it's, it's really good. And it was, was only 99 cents. It was only ninety nine cents per issue, which was awesome. True, and and was it? I don't know if it was uh, you or someone else uh, who was uh, griping about the fact that when they put it in trade, it ended up being even more than what it would have been if you bought them all at ninety nine cents yep. each. That's probably yeah. Yep. Yeah, we, 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 we did talk about that on an episode recently. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get? Yeah, and uh, check out. One of the annuals that they did, I think it was annual 1996, because in 1996, Marvel didn't number their annuals. They did year dates, which they should actually start doing for all their issues now, but that's another story. Uh, it's a really good Spider-Man and Human Torch story that, like, captures the era perfectly. Yeah, you're right. It's 96. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to read this again. And it, there, there's, you're right. There's, there's nothing in here that explicitly says... Oh, I've never met that guy before. Oh, his name's Spider-Man, or you know, no, no, they, they, they could have possibly met before. The only Maybe. thing we've seen on the page was whenever Flash was bullying Peter, and Doctor Strange's astral form showed up, and like Flash dove for Peter and ended up diving through Doctor Strange's astral form instead, and he gives him a little electron yeah. violence and then walks off into the sunset, the astral sunset. And um, but that's the only time on the page so far that Peter and Doctor Strange have crossed paths. And then Stanley says, "Doctor Strange can be found in Strange Tales every month by Marvel." Exactly. Have you guys ever seen the um, Doctor Strange direct video? It came out a couple years ago. Yeah, I heard it was terrible, so I didn't see it. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I I actually thought it was pretty, pretty. I mean, it wasn't great, but like I thought it was fairly decent. Yeah, it was enjoyable. Then once you're you're done watching it, it's pretty much forgettable, really. Maybe it's worse for people who actually know the character better than we. You know what? You're probably right. If you're a huge fan of Doctor Strange and you saw that, you would probably think, "What is this garbage?" But for a very <laughs> casual fan, yeah, it's probably just you know it's enjoyable. Um, I don't have anything else until page ten. I don't know if anything. I have anything else on the other intervening pages. I actually did not have a lot of notes about this issue aside from, you know, the Untold Tales thing and the 90s series. Neither did I. It's just a wacky story from beginning to end. Yeah. I mean, again, it feels like this wasn't planned to be an annual because it was a regular, you know, comic book length story or pop art production length story that it's like they just stuck it in there. And like well, maybe there was a... Um, sorry, it says it's like 72 pages like, and I, don't, I only have the main story. What else was in this? Reprint Actually, I, I have a joke yeah, about that. That's yeah. It was a reprint of a story from uh, issue one, uh, that uh, issue two, and then five, where he uh, goes up against um, Doctor Doom, and then a, a series of different pinups of all his villains. Yeah, I was going to actually go, go through all that. Um, yeah, after we get to talking about this story. One one of my problems with this issue is that okay, Doctor Strange, we expect to have kind of corny dialogue because he's Doctor Strange. He's always incanting and, and declaring things and villains always have cheesy dialogue and this one being a Doctor Strange villain is going to have even more so. I don't like it though whenever Spider-Man comes off having stilted dialogue because Stan Lee does know how to write dialogue for Spider-Man but instead we get like on the bottom of page 10 a dabbler in black magic, 
I should have guessed that some such power was behind the two who fought me. You know, it's just really stilted. Um, but then he makes up for the next panel. like, what? Spider-Man? Congratulations. You just said the magic word. Get it? Get the magic word? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah, speaking of stilted dialogue. Oh, <laughs> I really get the feeling that this story was either really rushed or had very minimal input from Stan. It just seems like it's Ditko from beginning to end. The cover probably was rushed. <laughs> you're probably right. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think you're a big good guess because it's like it's not a Spider-Man story really because you know a Spider-Man story in this day and age would have the Daily Bugle and would have. Um, the kids from ESU, even though they just graduated, they would have Flash, you know, trying to beat him up. We would have Aunt May whining at him, or Betty crying. That's the thing is that we, we're missing the supporting cast, and the supporting cast has become even more. Im- well, on the other hand, like you said, he just graduated, so his supporting cast is really in flux right now. So, but yeah, the Daily Bugle certainly. Aunt May, Anna Watson, Jonah. I mean, Betty and Ned. There's no mention of him. Like, like, like he doesn't mention Nothing. anybody. He's never even out of his costume for the whole story. I wonder if we're moving into that era where more and more often uh, Ditko would just draw the story and send him in without really consulting Stan. We haven't hit the master plan or storyline I think we're definitely in that era. I think we're definitely within that era. I don't don't want this to be true for the master plan story. I don't want that story too much for it to be true. And it could very well be. Um, Although we're going to talk about 30 here in a minute, and and (laughs) it'll be interesting how that sets up the master planner. Um... Yeah, with the continuity errors and all. (laughs) (laughs) So 15, we have more stilted dialogue. I had to let them get me in order for them to bring me back. But now I've got to find a new way to – no, I've got to find a way to escape anew. (laughs) And and Peter would never think a way to escape anew. I mean, but you don't say anew in English anymore. Well – uh, never mind. I mean, I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start saying it. On the is actually a pretty uh, common word in Spanish, but um, you don't say it so much in English anymore. And yeah, um, I, the other notes I had on the story I said during the recap, the little jokes and comments I had, this is just, you know, it's there. It does. It's, it accomplishes a purpose for Steve Ditko to showcase his two characters, especially Doctor Strange. Um... I do have some continuity notes I want to make, and if unless y'all have other things you want to say about it before I do. No. Okay. So this is Zandu's first appearance. Um, surprisingly, he would not go on to be a regular Doctor Strange villain. Uh, in fact, he does not show up again until 1974 with a Marvel team-up issue 21. So no one uses Zandu again until the next time that Spider-Man and Doctor Strange team up, or at least one of the next oh. times. Um, this is also true for the Wand of Watum. And to me, that story is kind of weird because for some reason in my head, I always associate the Wand of Watum pretty closely with Doctor Strange. Like, not mm-hmm. quite as important to him as the Eye of Agamotto, but still in my head, it's it's been a, an important relic. But it really doesn't show up that much. Uh, and not even again until that Marvel team-up issue. Um, it has had a few stories since then over the years. And they, they do establish some backstory. It even shows up in like a um, Conan story or something <laughs> like that. The one of watching is like ancient past is in, you know, something Sumerian with Conan. 
but I didn't get the details of that written down. Um, oh, that seems odd, but now that you mention it like that, yeah, it would probably fit, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. But if, if one, anyone wants to you know, find out how the wand was split into two halves in the first place, go check out Doctor Strange's second series, issue 34, which I believe is from 1979. So there you go. Was that the era when you had the mask? No, that was after. Yeah. It was in his first... Hello? ...for a short while, like in the... Was it late? About... Eddie, say all that again because you cut out. Yeah, you got out. Uh oh, Eddie. You're breaking up. Eddie, can you hear me? Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, I'm still here. Can you hear me? I can hear you yes. now. But a lot of what okay. you were saying just now about all that about Doctor Strange, we didn't hear it, a lot of that. Oh, okay. I pretty much just imparted the entire wisdom of the uh, cosmos upon the, the three of you, but since you didn't hear it, oh well. <laughs> Not again. Every guest does that. Uh, no, I was mentioning that uh, Doctor Strange, when he had the full costume, the full blue costume that covered his entire head, uh, that was in his first series, and that was about around 1969, and it didn't last very long. When they brought Strange into the Defenders, I think, is roughly the time that they did away with that, if I remember right. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it was a bit before that. And, yeah, because the, the Defenders started, well, you know, one of you are, can probably look it up on the Internet quicker than I can. But, yeah, that was early 70s. So, yeah, it was definitely before then. But how much before then, I don't know. Okay. Bruce Tim's favorite version got to Strange to draw the one with the mask. My memory, and although I could be wrong, is that um, the Defenders had their first story in one of Marvel's and uh, like features. Marvel feature, yeah. Marvel feature. And then, like one of the backups yeah. to that first issue was Doctor Strange fighting his blue masked self or something like that. I, 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 I only flipped through that book. I didn't really read it, so I could be getting the facts wrong on that. Um, but anyway, be that as it may, we don't know Doctor Strange's history as we have already attested. Um, but he would have several other team-ups with Spider-Man over the years. And I've actually read the next time they teamed up in an annual, which was Annual 14. And I was reading that book, and I saw on the cover, Spidey and Doctor Strange versus Doctor Doom and the Dread Dormammu, Nuff said. And I got all excited, because this was not only the second annual to feature a Spider-Man-Doctor Strange team-up, it was also the second time in Spider-Man's history that he went up against Doctor Doom. So, you know, I was all geared up for some awesomeness. This <laughs> is bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, Doctor Strange is knocked out in the very beginning of the story, kind of like in this one, except unlike this issue, he doesn't get revived to help with the fight. Spider-Man has to rescue him, and they don't go up against Doctor Doom and Dormammu. Those two bad guys teamed up and send a henchman after Spider-Man. So Spider-Man defeats Don, one of Doom's henchmen, and that's how the story gets resolved. And mm-hmm. it is one of the first comics that has actually really made me mad. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's just not what the cover makes you think it's going to be at all. <sighs> well, you know, um, Doctor Strange appeared up like, like almost as much as the Hematorce did now in JMS's run. Like, he's always been Doctor Strange for this and that. Well, that was during the time that he was um, doing the New Avengers stuff, right? Well, even before that, he was like, you know, hey, Doctor Strange, you're a magic guy. Can you help me with this? Like, that was in the 
Revelations trade paperback. And then he popped up again. I forgot why. Like he, he met him at least like three times before. Uh, he was he was in he was in uh, ASM five hundred. Um. Okay, and I haven't read that issue yet. Yeah, no, no. And, and James is wrong. He's, he he goes to Strange at least like three at least like three times, if not like three or four times. If it's okay with y'all, I'm gonna go. The talk we had earlier about everything else was in this annual. I'm gonna go ahead and cut. So let's go ahead and talk about it now, like it's new since we're after it. And actually, I have a little joke I'm gonna pull right now. So the second story in this book is called Spider-Man, and Don has the recap there too. Don, go. The what? Just kidding. It's a reprint issue from the. I uh, told him. <laughs> you really got me. <laughs> we can we can probably recap that off the cup. You know, yeah, like can you recap his, the uh, the first issue of, of Spider-Man off the off he like, memory? He like throws his costume. Throws his costume, snags a satellite, saves a man wolf. The is because I was I was actually too foolish to save him. It all started when he had my powers. And then you know, like like, like the angry Italian man comes out and says, "Where's my money, honey? Oh, I can't have enough money to pay." Uh, man, we need money. I have to jump out of school. Here, you can't. Uncle Ben wouldn't want it. You're right. I must have a good job somehow. Spider-Man was struck again. He tops over a wall. J. John Jameson hates Spider-Man. He jumps on a, a, an astronaut. Saves John Jameson. Be hero. But what? Spider-Man, murderer, douchebag. He's wanted by the FBI. Nothing ever turns out right for me. The Chameleon. Fantastic Four. Actually, they don't, they, don't, they don't have the Chameleon. They skip from that to Terrible Tinkerer. In um, <laughs> the second half of Spider-Man number two. Yeah, and I don't remember the word douchebag being in the title of uh, that Daily Bugle story. <laughs> let me let me well, double check that. Douchebag, yeah, check douchebag. your Marvel Tales because it was it, 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 in the Marvel Tales. I said that when we, were, when we originally went over issue one. I thought it was funny. Was it's there like a, <laughs> one of those reprint yeah, edits it? they do? They put douchebag yeah. in there. <laughs> sure. Uh, there, I remember there was, like, an there was an Untold Tales issue where. Uh, uh, J. Jonah Jameson uses the word douchebag. <laughs> when did Dow just say it came from an Untold Tales issue? Those were Sally Adams <laughs> dying words, douchebag. <laughs> douchebag. <laughs> it's her sled. Remember me as I was, a douchebag. Untold Tales style was pretty nice. Unlike both Superhero's Hardware and Cartoons, or Sally. Yeah, okay. so then after that, I mean, if they're going to reprint a story from issue two, why did they print reprint the backup story? I know. I mean, it, it's a horrible oh, story. Sure. The Vulture story was so much better. I mean, yeah. the Vulture story in issue two was not as good as the Vulture story in issue seven, but why print that? To me, it would make sense to do reprints in order. Reprint issue one in the annual, and then next annual you're doing reprints, reprint issue two or something like that, you know? Agreed. Uh, I think the concept of quality didn't exist in the 60s. So. Yeah, it was just fill up I the like pages. I like grab bags of, uh, of reprints as opposed to reprints in order when it comes to annuals. Like, I like reprints in order if I'm rereading the whole series. But if it's an annual, like, you know, I like reprints. You like the grab bag concept? Yeah. That's why I really liked that issue of uh, the Eric Larson, Howard Mackey, Amazing Spider-Man, where they uh, reprinted, like, a whole bunch of Spider-Slayer stories. That was really cool. And, and actually, somebody, I don't know if it was Eddie's voice or Don's voice, said it was maybe a, uh, mentioned the page count. And actually, that may have been the thing. There may have been a page count difference between the Vulture and Tinkerer, and they needed a specific number of pages to fill. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. And speaking of, uh, you mentioned Spider Slayer, um, one of the pinups 
in this issue is of the Spider Slayer introduced in Spider-Man 25, but they bill it as Jonah's robot. <laughs> oh, yes. Will you ever gallery of Spider-Man's Spider most famous foes, Jonah's robot. <laughs> the, the Jonah box. Du, du, du. And I love, the next time he appears in, in that cover, it's like, guess who's back? Smythe gets no credit. Well, <laughs> would you want to get credit? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, I, we said in the Spider-Slayer episode, by the way, is it called the Spider-Slayer? I don't think it is. And uh, in oh. fact, in the next appearance, because we looked at it after the episode, Smythe does say Spider-Slayer for the first time in the next appearance. And he says, I decide for Spider-Slayer because it's a more menacing name. So, yeah. <laughs> And I want to be menacing because I'm Smythe. And yeah, my he, name is he gets so like, menacing. Slowly more deranged. You're not going by slowly. No, he's immediately more deranged. No, like in issue twenty, we talked about it in in the episode that that that'll come out. You know, uh, eventually. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it's it, it's already out. Eventually, like, yeah, the issue twenty-five. To those two, but yeah, we talked about it. He's like, "Oh, hey, Peter, come on in. Just doing more experiments." Oh, there's my lab assistant. Punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, well, well, so like, like that they turn up they turn out to be like, you know, I hate Spider Man. I must destroy him. He humiliated me from you know That that punch <laughs> in the face from Raxton, like, you know, like set off like something in his brain. He's like, I'm tired of being like, pushed around. And then he looks at And then he looks in that uh box of the costume and he's like a shrunken Halloween costume? Does Spider-Man think this is a joke? Oh, and I will devote my life to killing him. All people have that costume. So, also in the gallery of Spider-Man's most famous foes, basically we're just going to do all of the villains that have come out since the last annual. So we have the Circus of Crime from issues 16 and 22 with uh, the Clown, Cannonball, the Ringmaster... The Great Gambonos and Princess Python, and again, Strongman does not get an appearance here. Did you uh, say the Princess Python? Princess Python with her female. Yes, looking rather That's good actually. <laughs> now they Sorry. take advantage of the fact yeah. that I'm a female. <laughs> you know, it it really is something that ticked me off that the Strongman never got any credit or was barely ever shown, like like here, <laughs> because. Um, when I was uh, working on the Stanley documentary, one of the things I had to really help with was compiling images of all Stanley's uh, characters that he created or co-created. And um, we were li literally going from a lot of the major ones all the way to like the most obscure and like ones that made like uh, one issue appearances. And so I had to get all the characters of the Circus of Crime. And it was a, a really tough deal trying to find a good one of the strong man. Because he just was so underrepresented everywhere. I'm sorry, man. That really sounds like a stunt. Well, there was the um, <laughs> there was a pinup that we talked about a few episodes back, where like in the front, in the border, all around Spider-Man, they have images of every single bad guy, just a little a little thumbnail, and all yeah. of the circus is there except Strongman. And there's even an empty thumbnail box where Strongman could have gone, but instead Spider-Man <laughs> is stepping on it, and there's no Strongman. I think I there's ended up having to pull out of somewhere where, like, you know how like Sentry was erased from existence, so was so was Strongman. <laughs> Turns out Sentry yeah. and Strongman are actually twins, <laughs> and they're both erased from existence. Who knows? Maybe uh, Sentry was Strongman. Maybe that's oh, what happened. Maybe that's Doo -doo. what happened. So then we have the Scorpion. <laughs> it isn't often that Spidey has to battle a foe who's stronger than he is, 
but it happened when he challenged the Scorpion, and Adventuredom has never been the same. Really? Adventuredom has never been the same since the Scorpion was introduced? Oh, wait, he's Venom and he eats people now. Yeah, we haven't been the same. <laughs> <laughs> hookers. He eats hookers. I think oh, well, that makes it okay. And then the Beetle, who's not even Spider-Man's villain. He's a Torch villain, but he got brought over, so now he's a Spider-Man villain. Okay, well, would you consider him uh, a Torch villain or a Daredevil villain? I consider him a Spider-Man villain sometimes, maybe. A Daredevil villain? Yeah, because in those early issues of Daredevil, uh, he went up against the Beetle a few times. Did he? I don't remember that, but it's been a while since I read early Daredevil. The Beetle's the bitch of the Marvel Universe, so... He, 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 you're, you're, yeah, yeah, he pretty much I'm makes it everywhere. You're, you're putting us on. Abner, James. Josh? Do your stuff. I didn't hear Abner any of that. Me neither. I said, I, I said that he's putting us on, so I'm checking my Abner Jenkins chronology because I think that John's putting us on. Eddie's putting us Man, on. Man, we're nerds. <laughs> well, maybe I'm remembering wrong then. Because no, I no, you're to- right. Daredevil 33 and 34. And then he has okay. a Spider-Man appearance, and then Daredevil 108, 109, 140. Um, so yeah, and you know we talked about re- in, when we talked about issue 21, we talked about how little um, the Beetle has been used in recent years, especially since One More Day. But he is going to be showing up in big time uh, as Mach whatever the next number is, Mach five, Mach six, whatever it is. Uh, he's in the solicits for an upcoming Amazing Spider-Man, so he's coming back, Abner Jenkins in Spider-Man. Woohoo! Because apparently there was a huge call for that. <laughs> because you demanded it. <laughs> yes, true believers. Yeah, the first this page better issue. have him coming out of jail saying, huh, no law against having an armored costume with, with a criminal record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is really the issue of Daredevil, uh, Daredevil 33, the one with the beetle. I, I guess maybe that's where I made the connection in my head that he was more Daredevil villain was because this issue, I remember having it as a little kid. And that was my first... Uh, ever introduction to who the Beatle was. You know what? They should put him back in the original costume. That, tell me that costume's not <laughs> yeah. awesome. The suction cups and, and the big, like, Mr. Freeze bulbous head thing, like, in the, in the goggles, like, they really should do Art Age 2010 and so just, just see how they would roll with that. That would be so cool. To me, it's <laughs> awesome in a 1960s, looks cool for the time, but should never be used again kind of way. Agreed. <laughs> like like the early Iron Man costumes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also have a pinup of, uh, we talked earlier about Jonah's robot, and then the Crime Master. And they stop it there, and normally the pinups go all the way up to where the annual was published. But they don't include the Molten Man here. So I don't know if this was just being worked on early, or if my publication date information is incorrect. It doesn't really matter. But there it is. And um, then we have an ad for every Marvel title published that is not currently aimed at girls. Do you want the names? You know you do. So here we go. Fantastic Four, Amazing Spider-Man, Journey into Mystery with Thor, Daredevil, Rawhide Kid, Submariner and Hulk in Tales to Astonish, Two-Gun Kid, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, Kid Colt the Outlaw, Tales of Suspense featuring Iron Man and Captain America, Strange Tales, The Avengers, and The X-Men. Can you imagine trying to list all of Marvel's titles today? Wolverine, Deadpool, Wolverine, Deadpool, Wolverine, Deadpool, Wolverine, Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> X, 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 X. 
<laughs> I have this issue of Strange Tales. Uh, that's the one where supposedly the thing, the thing in the Human Torch meet the Beatles. Oh, they don't. yeah. <laughs> but they actually don't, yeah. It's like uh, people pretending to be the Beatles, or how does that play out? Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've cracked that one open, so I, God, nope. I couldn't tell you. And the Avengers are getting their uh, their new lineup: Caps, Kookie, Quartet, um, X-Men <laughs> are fighting Kazar. Those Beatles are scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the Daredevil issue you just bought today, Eddie. Yeah, number yeah, seven. Number seven. Fighting Submariner for the first time in his red suit. Yeah. That is a really nice issue. I mean, Wally Wood is one of those guys that um, his early work, 50s and 60s, was just stunningly beautiful. And it's just so sad what happened to him. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the history. Yeah, of, uh, oh, yeah he killed himself. Yeah. Oh, right. And it's, I, you I know, it was, know yeah, he did. He shot himself. And this was over here, uh, not too far uh, from where I am. Um, here in LA, he had a small apartment and he pretty much just killed himself. I forget what year this is exactly. I'm sure you got anyone can look it up online and find out, but, um, there's a lot of, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean but he's, he's very, he kind of reminds me like Van Gogh. He was a very tortured artist. Yeah. You know what? And I told, uh, there was actually an article about him in a fairly recent issue of wizard and, uh, my wife who had no reading material of her own at the time picked that up and she read it and she said, you know, and she has a uh, degree in psychology and um, she read it and she said, you know, it really sounds like this guy was manic depressive. I mean, we're reading this article, everything that it's saying about him is just screaming manic depressive. And if he would have been around at this day and age, they had so much, they have so much medication now that people could take that could totally take care of that. And he wouldn't have been, the manic, depressive, heavy drinker that he was and eventually killing himself. But, I believe uh, they talked wife, about that some on Tales of Justice Society of America because I think he did some all-star comics after they revived yeah. it in the 70s. He did Power Girl and drew boobs bigger every issue, no doubt, no joke. <laughs> and the sad thing is, though, my wife said, but, you know, um, if he was such a great artist, if he would have been on this all medication to kind of even him out, it really would have affected his creativity. He may, he may not have been as good of an artist. As oh, he was. yeah, kind of give and take kind of thing. Yeah, so interesting little tidbit. It's very unfortunate. Not to um, go after on. these messages, we'll be right. <laughs> Just edit all that right out. After oh, these fine, messages. <laughs> so finally, the uh, hey. the annual ends with a Doctor Doom story from issue number five because that was so awesome. Uh, we discussed that story on episode number four. We don't need to do it again here. Um. Before we go to a break, uh, there is one other annual that came out this year with Amazing Spider-Man in it. It was Fantastic Four Annual Number 3. Very brief cameo, so I'm going to have a very brief discussion of it. Um, First off, the cover tries to get every single Marvel superhero squeezed into that cover, fighting a really good chunk of all the villains they've used over the years. Um, There are even two versions of Nick Fury. One is a Howler and one is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And Spidey's there, of course. This is the Wedding of Sue and Reed issue of Fantastic Four. And if you thought the first Spider-Man annual was full of random appearances, that does not hold a candle to this book. It's kind of a good thing they don't try to footnote every one of them or they'd never finish the issue. Even Patsy and Hetty make an appearance. 
But uh, <laughs> our interests lie on page 14. Blinking, you'll miss it. Hawkeye has taken on Mr. Hyde, and the Enchantress decides to retaliate by causing a safe to fall from nowhere. Um, and Spidey snags the safe with a web line. How he got there, why he's passing by, we don't know. Um, but this does make the second interaction so far between Spider-Man and any of the Avengers. And then I guess he swings off because he didn't get a wedding invitation because Reed remembered how he hit on Sue those times and Johnny still hates him. I don't know. So Spider-Man leaves the issue after that. If you're to believe Marvels, um, I think he showed. I think he did. You know, stick around for the wedding. Um, did I he? Think okay. he was in that. I think he was in that final splash page. I'm picturing him there, but I don't have it in front of me. Uh, He's not on panel in this book, but yeah, Marvels may have re- uh, retconned him in there. Yeah, but but it, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't get in because Lee and Kirby weren't even allowed in the wedding on this. Don, Don, Don you've read Marvels. Uh, help me out here. Yeah. Spider Man. I'm googling that splash page right now. Because someone's got to have it. Uh, which one, especially? Yeah? Uh, the Reed and Sue's wedding, where like the Beatles were there and everything. Uh, yeah. That big Alex was Spider Man in that. Was Spider Man? Spider Man was not in that. I could have sworn he was. One hundred percent. One hundred percent positive. Maybe Peter Parker. Okay. Well, if you're one hundred percent positive, you know I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. it's 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 me, so I wouldn't take that for granted. Don's one hundred percent is like you're in my coin flip. John, <laughs> don't you have don't you have a CBR somewhere? It's across the room, dude. <laughs> I'm not uh, I can check if you give me two seconds. Well, let, let's here. let's check for that on the break, unless you want it to be on sure. the show. I don't really care. It's your okay. show. <laughs> um, my my only other comment on this annual is that the art was so rushed. It really is not Kirby's best, unless we want to blame Vince Coletta's inking. Um, I, do. I think we will. <laughs> but that's um, that's the annual. So we're gonna go to a break. Break. After these messages, we'll be right back. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. And now we have Amazing Spider-Man issue... I'm sorry, it's not a comic book. I was going to say comic book, but this is a pop art production number 30, which was released on August 10th, 1965, with a November cover date. And Joshua Bertoni is going to take it away. Oh, yes. And what a great cover this is. Classic Ditko. Instead of, like, being centered on Spider-Man as a close-up, it's actually like a splash page of what you would find in a comic book now. Like, Spider-Man is really, really small and takes up a very small percentage of the cover. And there's a spotlight on him as a water tower is exploded about to land on him. And in the corner of that water tower, we see a cat burglar on a rope. And somebody's typing in Skype. Yes, I can. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. And as the blurb tells us, only the batty Marvel bullpen could present such a dazzling display of a daring, of daring, of daring do? Really? <laughs> of dare. That's not. Why are you spelling it that way? That's how you spell of, daring do. It's not. Yeah, you do. Okay. 
of Daring Do as the claws of the cat. And unfortunately, unlike the cat that we're going to be meeting in about 164 issues... Uh, no relation whatsoever. Yeah, no, the, the, the Spider-Man's not going to become friends with benefits with this cat. At least, not that we know of. That would have been a very controversial Silver Age tale. It gives a whole new meaning to the word prowler. <laughs> oh my. Well, first page, claw, we get the splash page, Claws of the Cats. With the purple background and a circle in the middle, having us look in on Spider-Man hanging upside down and watching the cat run away as we see the floating heads of the supporting cast. Jonah looking all grumpy. Aunt May looking up for some reason, trying to read the narration. <laughs> Ned Leeds, like, whispering in Betty Brandt's ear, sweet nothings. I just makes the... I have to say, I really don't like that Aunt May picture. It looks like it's Uncle Ben back in his long hair days. It really does not look like Aunt May. Ultimate Uncle Ben. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> so, Ned is whispering, yeah, you're right. Ned's whispering sweet nothings in the Betty's ear, which is making the Peter in the bottom left-hand corner a little grumpy. And even though high school's done, we have Liz and Flash in the top, you know, corner. And one of the master planner, oh, excuse me, the Cats men. My bad. <laughs> I like the picture of Liz over there. I like it's a nice drawing. Yeah, but like, well, whatever. She's here. <laughs> we'll deal with it. She's here. So, in the closet, in which our web-spitting wonder encounters a brand new foe while finding himself still beset by the same old problems, it is more than likely that this little excursion into adventure will meet with your unqualified approval. Are you saying that we're unqualified? <laughs> Stanley just called us unqualified. Again! That, that son of a parent. Well, speaking of Stanley, this is heroically written and edited by Stanley. Okay, what the heck is that worth? Homerically, as in related to Homer. Oh, oh yeah, it is what? Homer. I, I thought okay. it was Homer. Never mind. Homerically plotted and drawn by Steve Dicko, and hastily lettered and bordered by Artie Simek. And now we bring you one of the most eagerly awaited moments of all. The moment you begin to read another mighty Marvel masterwork. Wait, this is a Marvel masterworks? I thought those didn't come out until the 90s. A mighty Marvel pop art production. (laughs) (laughs) A mighty Marvel tale. Who knows? Whatever. It's an amazing Spider-Man classic is what it is. It's Marvel Entertainment. Well, the first panel of this amazing Spider-Man classic shows the continuation of Betty's cry for attention from last issue. (laughs) And Ned and an unknown friend of Betty's are only too happy to answer this cry for attention. It's just basically, you know, kind of a recap. Betty's upset because the scorpion was there. And everyone's like, oh, don't worry, Betty. We'll help you get well from, you know, as opposed to the people who were actually injured during the fights. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You, You just rest there. And we cut to Aunt May, who's trying to hide her failing health from Peter because, you know, he's so fragile. Luckily, Anna Watson comes over and takes Aunt May out to the movies, which gives Peter a chance to web-swing and wonder if Betty has recovered from being a drama queen. Before he wonders that, read his first panel. His first thought balloon. All right, let's do it. (laughs) Wouldn't you know it? Just when I'm in the mood for some action, the city's as dull as Jonah Jameson's wisecracks. Damn it, man, you're doing it again! Stop wishing for troubles. And then Galactus <laughs> comes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, funny fate. 
Yeah, is that enough trouble for you finally? <laughs> Goodness. So you, and, I'm and, sorry to interrupt, but it cracks me up. It's a continuation of last uh, issue where Aunt May is literally crumbling on the floor. Oh, my God, everything's dizzy. Oh, my God, I, what's going on? Uh, hey, you want to go to the movies? Okay. It just like nothing. <laughs> I, I get the feeling like those first two panels were basically a last time on Amazing Spider-Man kind of thing. Yeah. Right. It's all building up. They're probably just secretly talking about the next way they're going to plot Peter and Mary Jane getting into the same room. Which actually is is a plan that they try and concoct at the end of this issue, but it fails miserably. But we'll get to that. So yeah, um, Peter is web-swinging, wondering if Betty's recovered from being a drama queen, which isn't likely. And as that's happening, he swings past a cat burglar, appropriately named the cat, without even noticing him. This relieves the cat, who's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm not a super-powered villain, so I'm probably beneath his notice, I hope. So he breaks into an apartment, reminding himself of... That's the same note twice. Edit. He breaks into an apartment and robs it, but it turns out that the apartment that was robbed was Jonah Jameson's. And, well, we all know (laughs) He's going to have an appropriate reaction out of this. The cops are over. No doubt about it, Mr. Jameson. That little caper has cat burglar written all over it. Okay. Cat burglar, I get it that it's the guy's name, but that can, like, mean two different things. Like, if I was Joan, I'd be like, of course it's a cat burglar. <laughs> this little caper has robber written all over it, or this little murder <laughs> murderer written all... Like, you're being too vague. This has safe thief written all over it, because he broke into your safe and stole things. Yeah. Well, he picked the wrong victim this time. I'm offering a thousand dollar reward. Ooh. For this capture, that ought to do the trick because this is the '60s, and a thousand dollars probably means a lot more. I actually did some figures on this. Oh, did you? Yes. Uh, given the current rate of inflation in 1965, a thousand dollars in 1965 in 2010 would be equal to six thousand nine hundred and twenty dollars and ninety-eight cents. You know, I could, <laughs> I, I would be very upset if seven grand disappeared out of my safe. That would be, that would be sad. Oh, that's right. That's the reward he's offering. Yeah, okay. that's the reward he's offering. I would be so very, very happy be... to turn in my brother for a seven thousand dollar reward. That would that would definitely be happening. I'd it smack my own mother over the head with a snow shovel for seven thousand dollars. Like a montage of like Dog the Bounty Hunter suiting up and like, <laughs> like Foggy Nelson. If I get that one thousand dollars, I could finally impress Karen Page. <laughs> and then, like, Matt Murdock around, something tells me I better follow Foggy to make sure he stays out of trouble. <laughs> and Farley Stillwell's like, I need that $7,000 for my research. Scorpion, ah! And the <laughs> Yes. And Betty Brand's like, if I have that money, then I'll be rich, just like Liz Allen is, and maybe Peter will love me. And then I'll <laughs> pay, if I have that money, I can bribe Peter into finally meeting Mary Jane. No, no, no. If, if Aunt May had the money, she'd buy another stupid hat. That's yes, right. that's true. <laughs> Should I pay my medical bills or buy a hat? Ooh, buy a hat. <laughs> the newest hat monthly is out, May. Oh. <laughs> oh, look at that hat. I must have it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, speaking of things that we must have, there's a bunch of men in full body purple outfits that must have this uranium. That's. I thought you were going to say we must have one of those, and I was just going to go all sorts of places with that. Yeah, that must have one of those uraniums being delivered to Stark Industries. They're in full, you know, purple, like, weird suit, 
bodysuit outfits that have kind of Spider-Man eyes, and they credit this caper to their boss. Only the cat cat could have thought of a scheme like this. Only the cat, which I guess is – there's a few explanations for this that we'll talk (laughs) about after the recap. One of them swears that he heard a whoosh behind him as he's doing the robbery. Well, apparently that whoosh belonged to none other than Spider-Man, who attempts to foil the robbery. But I say attempt because the men are able to make Spider-Man lose his balance, fall off the truck, and they're already long gone by the time Spider-Man regroups himself. Luckily, ADD seems to be one of the themes of the issue, because it kicks in as Spider-Man hears exposition radio reports, which are always on at convenient times, by the way, about Jonah offering a full thousand dollars, wow, for the capture of the cat. Spider-Man decides that he wants the money and that harassing Jonah is a fun thing to do. So he shows up at Jonah's apartment, which has an open window, which I guess if you've just been robbed by a cat burglar, you know, you're good, you're going to leave your window open. Well, at that point, why not? Everything's gone, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Chuckles. I just dropped by to tell you to keep your checkbook handy. I'm going to bring you that cat character before you can say all the way with JJJ. Spider-Man! Now there's a snappy comeback. Well, I don't want to hang around too long. You're so charming that I may grow to like you, in which case I'd have to kill myself. Keep smiling. (laughs) Stay away from that cat burglar, do you hear? Keep out of this. The reward isn't for you. You're so masterful when you're angry. Here you and then Jonah has a weird Steve You've gotten Jones. really quiet again. Oh, it's, okay. It's probably because I was loud as Jonah and the volume may have leveled out. Like, it may have auto-adjusted it. Okay, you're back again. I don't know if you can turn off the auto-adjusting because we don't usually have this issue with you because, I don't know, you're getting really, really quiet when it tones you down. Let me look at my settings. It says automatically adjust microphone settings, so I'm going to turn that off. Okay. So maybe now it'll uh, – how do I sound now? You sound fine now. Okay. I'm saving that. Okay. Here we go. I love the um, the Jonah picture in that next panel after your semester when you're angry. This is – I think I mentioned this last episode, but this is Ditko's new idea that he's gotten for making Jonah look worried. He sucks on his cigar. <laughs> it's right, like a pacifier. And it's really <laughs> funny. I, I crack up every time I see it. Yeah. It never leaves his mouth. <laughs> it, it, it's a uh, crazy glue in there. All right, hold on. Chewing, swallowing. That's what she said. Yeah, it is. Oh. What she okay. So Jonah is having a weird, trippy Steve Ditko fantasy about what would happen. It'll be just my luck that he does capture the cat. I can see it now. He'll swagger down the street with the crowd cheering, and he imagines Spider-Man doing just that. I'll have, to, I'll have to pay him the reward in front of TV cameras, right out in public. He'll be gloating beneath that ugly mask of his. And uh, you see, um, but Spider-Man won't be able to cash the check in the fantasy because there's no hyphen. But uh, we get a great <laughs> Spider-Man like with actual pupil. Well, the Silver Age version of pupils, where it's just dots, but pupils in his mask and like a grin on his mask. A really evil-looking Spider-Man. It's creepy and, as hell. Look at that. That's so <laughs> scary. <laughs> No wonder Jonah bit. hates Spider-Man. In his brain, Spider-Man's this like twisted Stephen King's it kind of clown character. <laughs> no, that's, you know, Jonah, stop smoking. You know Spider-Man doesn't actually look like that. Huh. I know. you got to wonder what's in that cigar. It's, gonna say it's not a tobacco cigar after all. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't look so bad. Huh. Ah, I guess I was all wrong. Huh. Well, 
next page, we next panel, we get all these like close-ups on these mouths, even bigger than Jonah's head, laughing at him. And and to make it worse, I'll be a laughing stock because of the way I've always attacked him in my newspaper. Oh, I'd rather give the reward to the cats. So he calls up uh, Frederick Foswell, who's going to use his alias as the patch to help. Nope. Let's see. ADD kicks in again, and Peter decides that $1,000 can wait. Aunt May's making apple pie. No, really, that's the explanation given in the book. He calls off the search because it's apple pie night at the Parker house, and Aunt May's apple pie is awesome. It's the most. And then we cut to, to the next pit. And then we cut to the next day, where the apple pie is so awesome that Peter and May are still talking about it the next morning. Like, who does that? It's like, wow, Aunt May, that wasn't that good apple pie. Oh yes, no, actually, it, it's we, we get we get an Aunt May misunderstanding playing. And thanks again for the apple pie. It was the most, the most what? Just an expression, Aunt May. So long. What's no, but this is long? funny. This is this is like major first appearance here because this is the beginning of Aunt May's years long, decades long battle with slang. That's, that's I mean, sort of going to go at least 15 years because she's still saying Pussy Willow in the Marv Wolfman run. Pussy Willow. Oh, man. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, and there's even that brand new day backup in 546 where she, like, pretends that she doesn't know slang on purpose just to confuse everybody. So maybe, maybe this was her way of, like, wearing Peter down until he would finally meet Mary Jane Watson. Well, yeah, because all the all the modern retcons say that Aunt May was just pretending to be as feeble as she was. That she was only pretending to be half psychotic and you know, dementia and everything else. So, but poor Peter. It, it, like it, it drove him to the point where like he was going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and she was just kidding. <laughs> I can't. I can't let Aunt May see that dust on my on, uh, in my room. <laughs> she'll think that I'm not neat, and then she'll like, and then she'll she'll worry, and she'll have a heart attack and die. Got to clean. Got to. Or as this is where you cut in Bailey's. Uh, got to sing. Got to dance. <laughs> we don't need Bailey for that. <laughs> yeah, but Bailey's is good. Peter rushes out early to go see Betty Brandt, although I can't see why at this point, but okay. But on his way, he bumps into his other love interest, Liz Allen, who I guess uh, has isn't ready to leave the book just yet. Oh, look at... oh, Liz Allen? Petey, as I live and breathe, I haven't seen you since graduation. Gee, Liz, you're looking great. What's new? What have you been doing with yourself? Oh, I've taken the job. I'm a working girl now. And then Peter, like, gives an uncomfortable look, like... Does she know what that means, or is she an actual working girl? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you have so much money? But why bore you with the details? You don't have to pretend to be interested. Gee, Liz, I'm not pretending. And if she really is a working girl, no, you don't have to pretend to be interested. (laughs) (laughs) Her street name is Liz Allen with an E. (laughs) No, her street name is Liz Hilton. Oh, yeah. Or Brandt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, never mind about that. Would you do a favor, me a favor, PD, for old time's sake? Sure I will. Flash Thompson is following me to see if I would work. Lifetime original movie, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that makes it that makes her next line so much better. <laughs> 
<laughs> if he finds <laughs> out, I'll just never get rid of him. Because <laughs> she's a working girl now, and if he finds <laughs> out, he'll never go away. <laughs> he was the high school quarterback and the big man on campus. She was the cheerleader. Now, he's the star quarterback of ESU, and she's just a working girl who won't get left alone by him. <laughs> Washed up 80s actress as Liz Allen in the new <laughs> Lifetime original movie. <laughs> awesome. The Burning Bad Part 2. Would you stall him a while? It'll be my pleasure. And we never know. Let's talk again. about this Liz scene. I, I know we're still doing the recap, but I, I, I just want to pause here for a minute because this is the last time we're going to see Liz Allen for a really long time. In which he bumps into her in the street again the next time he sees her. Yeah, it just happened to be casual. It's just, you know. So, I honestly think that they weren't planning to necessarily write her completely out of the series. I think they had her here with thoughts they might bring her back occasionally from time to time once they had his college cast of characters set up. But then that just never happened. I don't think that they intended to say, nope, we're done with Liz Allen, moving on. I think that the, reading 28, it looks like they fully intended on writing her off. But, you know, best laid intention, uh, best laid intentions, you know, they got to apply in this issue and they're like, oh, we need something. Uh, let's fall back on that whole Liz Flash Peter love triangle again. Let, let's just put that here. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I mean, he was writing a million books a month, so. And I, as we're probably going to talk about later. We're not entirely sure just how much input Stan Lee had on the plot of this issue. Um, unfortunately, we do find out Liz was not a prostitute, um, despite the working girl thing. But she, she became a she became she became a nurse, as as was revealed in uh, uh, Jerry Conway's run. Of course not. Yeah. What? How? <laughs> <laughs> Woman of the what night. What kind of nurses were treating you in the hospital, dude? <laughs> Lawrence Nightingale. Yeah. Hello, Donovan. It's not a sponge bath in your hand job. Let me crash my car by your hospital. <laughs> yeah. Damn, I. That might be a blooper. <laughs> I like how Josh was like, yeah. What? <laughs> like, yeah, wait, what? <laughs> okay, that, I just want to take a moment with that. And, and you know, she's gone now. Well, so. it, it, sound, it sounds like Eddie had something to say or. Oh, sorry. Uh, not really. I made a joke that I guess nobody heard. <laughs> we, we do tend to drown each other out sometimes. I apologize for that. What'd you say? Yeah, not a big deal. You're making. Uh, Donovan said that uh, nurse is the same as a uh, woman of the night. So I made a little <laughs> reference of yeah, uh, Donovan. Uh, it's time for your sponge bath and your hand job. Oh, I line up her way too many times. <laughs> that's probably that's probably the type of nurse Liz was. Like her hospital supervisor would walk in. She's the best dude. Liz, you're doing it again. I just can't help myself. I see why it's her face off. Liz, that's not a that's not a burn victim. That's a bum who came in for a hand job. To all the nurses listening to this, I'm sorry. My stepmom's a nurse. Awesome. Do you have a large nurse audience that we should be aware of? Most of our emails are from nurses. Steve Rogers, <laughs> he's a nurse. 
Um, Aiden is a nurse. Uh, no, she's kidding. <laughs> so speaking of nurse prostitutes, let's go into the Flash Thompson scene. Yeah, Flash Thompson in a nurse prostitute outfit. Or <laughs> Flash Thompson confronts Peter and threatens to knock him one because, you know, no one's going to keep him from Liz. This is really creepy. Like, why isn't anyone calling the police? <laughs> He's like, no one's going to keep me from Liz. Not even – this is – you guys broke up. This is like she's running away from you. She doesn't want you to know where you – this is really horrible. Yeah, and today Peter, that's stalking. Back then, I guess in the 60s, it was cute. Peter's well, like, you know, all happy and jumpy. Like, hey, this is my old school chum, Buckethead <laughs> Thompson. Get out of my way before I kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you with, like, the ball <laughs> in his hand. Liz is finally going to be in my arms again. Yeah. If I can't have Liz, no one can. <laughs> Well, ADD kicks in again while Peter and Flash are arguing because he sees a figure on the roof with a gun and he's like, well, there's lots of crime in New York City, but I bet that this is the cat. So I need to get rid of Flash quick. So Peter gives Flash mm-hmm. a quick spider strength nerve pinch to knock him out. After so making a Sophia Loren reference. Yeah, after making a Sophia Loren reference. That's right. Your girl, you have as much chance with Liz as I have with Sophia Loren. And if that were in the 70s, then who would it be? Um... Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett. And if it was in the 80s, you have as much chance, Liz, as I have with Kim Basinger. It was in the 90s. You have as much chance, Liz, as I have with Heather Locklear. In the 90s? You have as much chance with Liz as I have with Megan Fox. And we've got full circle. Because, actually, in all reality, there is actually only one hot celebrity woman every 10 years. Pretty much. Only one. As opposed to as opposed to infinity, <laughs> it would be, be really ironic if he's like, "You have as much chance of Liz as I have with Kirsten Dunst," and he turns and winks at the reader. <laughs> that's an Ultimate Spider-Man reference, or, or, or that should have been an Ultimate Spider-Man line like four years ago. Ugh. The, the, the comic would burn up in flames and disappear if that happened. Back when they did the Hollywood story with Doctor Octopus and Tobey right, Maguire right. and. Yeah. And Spider-Man is actually swings by and cusses them all out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Peter goes after that figure after he gives Flash the Vulcan nerve, you know, pinch or whatever you call it. He jumps to the roof, and his costume is already on when he lands. But don't worry, they hand wave this with some dialogue. Like, oh, wow, I'm getting really fast at changing my costume. <laughs> and then it's, he, he jumps up there, and he, then, like, the next panel, he's in the costume. He's like... I'm getting fast at this. It's like whenever Bruce Wayne and, and, and uh, Dick Grayson are in the 1967 Batman show and they slide down the flagpoles and then they're Batman and Robin when they land at the bottom <laughs> of the flagpoles. I can just see this in like a 1970s version of Spider-Man. He leaps off the ground and then when he lands, he's in his suit. He just keeps on going. Hey, the live action Spider-Man show wasn't too far off from that. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that, though. He'll I kind of like, like Wonder Woman. He'll like spin around. Spider Man. Oh God! <laughs> All the world is waiting for you. <laughs> Please don't wear a jacket <laughs> or a hoodie or two. Okay, go ahead. So Peter webs the sh- Spider Man webs the shadowy figure, but it turns out to be a small time hood doing attempted murder. Aw, shucks! All he did was stop some guy from getting killed, but it wasn't the cat, so he doesn't get reward money. And we get the victim of this crime, the guy who was about to be murdered, actually thanking Spider Man. You know, showing some gratitude for him, not saying help police. And what does Spider Man do? He's rude to the guy. 
Someone's <laughs> actually like, jerk. thank you, Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I can't put that in there. <laughs> well, believe it. Spider-Man's like, stop oh, off. That'll be funny. Okay. Or you can just stop. Oh, is, is that really? He, he, he's, he's like, don't waste that story to me. He's sitting to confession me. I, mean, I guess he is kind of, of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he complains like, oh, how come I never get any? Oh, how come everyone hates me? It's like, well, <laughs> there's your clue right there. So in the seeds <laughs> of discontent. So he's disappointed that he's not getting $1,000, but he returns to the alley to do questionable things to the unconscious body of Flash Thompson. <laughs> Bless his poor little head. I never see him looking so peaceful. In, in between the panels, like Peter probably like undressed Flash and like drew stuff all over his body or something. And... <laughs> PP rules. Yeah. <laughs> Flash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Flash comes to. <laughs> Flash finally like tracks down Liz and starts undressing for the rape, and he's like, "Why does it say Peter Parker all over you?" Flash in the issue of Spider-Man, in which Flash Thompson is date raped by Peter Parker. I never thought I'd live to see this day. <laughs> you know, it, could, it, it we went there with a uh, Betty Brant Doctor Octopus, so I, uh, I'm not surprised. Like, uh, we make a rape reference every single damn episode. No, no. But no tentacles on. Oh wait, shoot! I just mentioned it. Oh, boss. <laughs> Flash comes too, and Peter concocts a story about them. Wait, Flash their came head. too. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this to me. Don't do this to me. Flash regains conscious. Flash regains consciousness. <laughs> so Flash regained consciousness? Wait, wait. He became what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was giving Peter a blowjob. Try and find something <laughs> sexual about that. Or <laughs> from. Men, four grown men acting like middle schoolers, <laughs> and I'm just as guilty. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, th- this is all going to go in the back, so we need to give you like a clean start on the scene. Flash comes to, or whatever you oh, want to yeah. say. No, oh, oh, I'm sure. No, Flash regains consciousness, and Peter concocts a story about the two of them knocking their heads together, and then says that Liz works at a place called Dylan and sends Flash off. Hopefully that's not the real place she works at, because then, like, Flash would show up. Now I have you to myself. Peter told me where you are. Peter betrayed me? And then cutting back to the alley, Peter, Betty Brand's, like, standing there. So, how did you know where Liz Allen works? (laughs) I, uh, I... But no, she can't do that. She's too busy waking up from her unconsciousness to find Ned on his one knee with a ring in his hand. Yeah, we don't actually see that. No, Betty's not in the alley, and we don't see the proposal. But uh, we do see Betty in the next panel. Ned is leaving the apartment, telling her that she doesn't have to give him an answer right away. We don't know what the question is, although you guys do. But the reader in 1960s doesn't. He says, you don't have to answer my question right now because I'm late for work, woman. So Ned leaves, and the phone rings, and it's Peter calling Betty. And she says that she needs to see him right away. And now we have the epic scene. Betty finally gets her comeuppance. After all the stuff she's put Peter through, Peter finally unleashes on her. Ladies and gentlemen, just like this, let's step back and let Bertone work his magic. Oh, yeah, no, I'm going to be. <laughs> this is. 
this, this is the scene I've been most looking forward to. <laughs> oh, yes. Hey, you look like your old self again, and that's tops with me. I'm glad you're feeling okay now. I'm ashamed of myself for being so shaken up by the scorpion that time, but at least it's all over now. Yeah, you should be ashamed of yourself. You really should be. The of- and the way she's talking, it's like last week, you know, that, that, that time that I got shaken up by the scorpion. <laughs> you were on your bed this morning. You couldn't move. <laughs> you were last issue, Natch. If you missed it, shame on you, says Sam. Well, anyway, let's hear what's on your mind. Something tells me it won't make me want to jump for joy. Oh, Peter, I don't know where to begin. Try the beginning, just for kicks. You can hear, like, Peter losing his patience with her. Like, all right, so tell <laughs> Oh, Peter, Betty, oh, he, just... He has it coming. Well, in a nutshell, Ned has asked me to marry him. Insert whatever dramatic music you see fit. Dun, dun, dun. Whoa, nutshell my foot. That's a whole peanut factory. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did anyone else in Marvel. They just let it go. <laughs> I've got to think fast. Now now I have to tell her that I'm Spider-Man. Then I'll propose to her myself. Everyone knows that the best marriages always start with proposals that are done to one-up somebody else, you know? Yes. <laughs> you like, proposed to my girlfriend. I should propose to my girlfriend. And, and tell her a- I'm gay, because that's the deep, stark secret that I've been, you know, keeping from her all the time. I'll approach it casually. Don't want to shock her too much. Yeah, because, you know, telling her your Spider-Man's going to work, she was just in a coma because she saw the scorpion, so. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good guy, I guess. He did try to help you against the scorpion. Oh. Of course, he's no Spider-Man, but don't mention Spider-Man. If Ned were anything like him, I wouldn't even consider his offer. I've had enough excitement in my life. Enough worries. I still remember what happened to my brother. I can never love an adventurer, a man who risks his life each day. Oh, I never thought of it that way. I want a man who has a good, steady job, who comes home each night to his pipe. And his paper. And to me. That's what first... Yeah, the the slow burn in Peter's face is these panels. He has has like a flashlight in front of his face. No, he's... he. You can see he is literally rolling his eyes in that panel. (laughs) 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 That's what first attracted me to you, Peter. You were so studious, so sincere. You were a good student, a hard worker. He even worked after school taking pictures to make extra money. Which you gave him shit about, telling him to quit. <laughs> so. what? What, what, what? Why do you look that way? Did I say something wrong? Oh, let me count the ways. <laughs> Did I say Here something wrong when I told you about why I'm considering marrying your rival? No, you didn't say anything wrong. Not a thing. I get the picture. Ned Leeds is the guy for you. I guess it was always him. He's just what you want. A plain, hardworking, average Joe. Well, goody for both of you. Go ahead and marry him. You probably deserve each other. What difference does it make to me? Peter, what do you say? Wait, I didn't mean to. Peter, don't go, please. (laughs) He slams the door in her face. (laughs) Yay! Oh, that's right. It 
Allah razı olsun onu söylüyorum. It's you. I love. It's always been you. Oh Peter, why didn't you let me explain? Why would he listen? What is it that always stands between us? The one secret he keeps locked up within him. The secret he never shares or talks about. You bitch. You're blaming this on his <laughs> You invited him over to your house, said, another man wants to marry me, and I think he's pretty awesome. Are you mad about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine what it keeps tearing us apart. <laughs> it's, it's, it's your se- craziness, lady. Why does she think he has a secret anyway? Like, like what makes her think he says he has a secret? She just says, she'll just say randomly, he has a secret yeah. he's keeping deep inside of him. What makes her think this? There's never been any evidence, but she dropped that in every so often. But there's never been anything shown to give her that idea whatsoever. Exactly. She's got a whole life going on in her head that none of us know about. <laughs> That's so <laughs> That's like one of my favorite Benny Brand quotes. She's got a whole life going on. That's gonna it's be face true. Folks. It's true. There's like this whole crazy. You know what it's like? There's that one episode of The Simpsons where Marge asks Homer something and he gives her some crazy answer about what happened. And when she questions it, he says, no, I've got a perfect photographic memory. I remember exactly how it happened. And he's thinking to himself how it happened. And in the, his memory, I he's like this. all buff. He's getting a call from the president. There's all kinds of crazy shit going on all over the place behind him. That's what it's like. She's got this whole circus world going on in her head that nobody knows anything about. Much as green hair. <laughs> yeah, I love that panel. Peter walking away. I mean, everything that Betty's done to him, like, you can't date, I can date. And then, like, throwing Ned in his face. <sighs> yeah. And then her. Not showing up to his graduation. You know. Oh God! Like, yeah, not, not showing up to his graduation. Not even, not even talking to him for days. And then, like the next time he sees her, she's like, "Oh, Ned, you're such a card. Let's watch the movie theater together." And like, she's like, and now she says, "It's you I always love." After he leaves the door, what a yeah. cowardly woman! Right. Yeah, well, she, and her whole plan she, to, to uh, her whole plan with dating Ned was to get Peter jealous after she broke up with him. Like, remember we said in the episode, Betty's the only woman that will get jealous when she's dating somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like the whole thing with Ned was just to like, oh my god, I've lost Peter for good by dating another man. Yeah. Okay, so Ned showed up in issue eighteen, right? That's whenever Peter Parker is going through all of his time with, um, yeah, nineteen. That's when Peter Parker is going through all of his time with Aunt May being sick, no, and he's not even being, and- not even being Spider Man during that time, you know. And and we speculated on the episode that it might have been as much as a month where he was just wrapped up in everything he was doing there. So, you know, she she does the Ned thing because Peter's being scarce and she wants to make him jealous and get back with her, and then he goes off to Europe. And then he shows up again last issue, and again, she's been mad at him because of the the Spider Slayer. And she was, you know, still hacked off at him during the uh, Goblin story. So Peter's trying to make it up to her again, and then Ned Lead comes back, and suddenly he wants to marry her. There, there, there's nothing going on between Ned and Betty at this point that we've seen except her trying to make Peter jealous. And on that basis, on those grounds, she's going to marry him. Yeah, so she's basically using Ned for for Peter. Like, like so, she's basically rode him all those times to Europe and you know hung out with him to make this. <laughs> so then, by that rationale, then she has no intention of saying yes to him. She is just using it as another leverage point against Peter to poke at him and prod him and basically get him to love her. 
Well, she says, is, it's you who I love. Then why didn't you open up the conversation with that? Like, hey, Peter, look, Ned proposed to me. Before you say anything, it's you who I love. It's you who I want to be with. But I just wanted to come clean about that. Yeah, I want to tell him no because it's you I want to be with. You know, instead she's like giving a speech about her perfect man and like. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, it's all about her and her crazy world in her head. And she says, I wouldn't even consider his offer. Like, translation, I'm considering Ned's offer. <laughs> like, I'm consider like, she invites when you, you. When you say, I wouldn't do this if things were different, that means that things are not different, so you are doing what you, you know, that's, it's, yeah. Well, to, to be, to be, you know, honestly fair, uh, page uh, nine, the very bottom panel, when she starts talking about Peter and how, how, how she was attracted to him, she may that before Peter left, she may have been leading into confessing her love for him. I mean, we don't know, but it's possible the way she starts the way she starts going on about him, and then she, and then like, actually leaves. She's she's like, oh, it's you that I love. Like you know, yeah, that, it that, was a roundabout way of doing it. Well, yeah, and it, her her plan of attack was wrong, but she might have been getting to the point that Peter should have stayed to hear. Yeah, right but it's storm. too little, too late at that point after everything like, that she's put him through. Yeah, not just like this page, but like everything that she's put him through for the past few years. And right. frankly, even if she did start the conversation outright saying, it's you that I love, I don't want to be with him. Uh, Peter still should turn to her and say, no, you're crazy. Why would I want to be with yeah, you? Yeah, there's no, there's no reason I even like my hero. <laughs> yeah. And he almost proposed to her. Can you? That would be like a good what if. What if Peter had impulsively proposed to Betty and they had one of those out of high school like marriages? <laughs> the road to hell part one well, speaking of road to hell I they would see, have a heart attack <laughs> I can see Betty Brant just spiraling down into the Betty Brant craziness after this it's like the door slams that just sends her on this path oh this is fueling her to complete destruction at this point because we're going to have I mean we're going to have well, she, okay she doesn't really do a whole lot interesting during like Ramita's time and everything else, but we do have Marv Wolfman when Betty Brandt becomes, you know, the crazy woman again. And then there's oh. Betty Brandt of the eighties. <laughs> and then there's Betty Brandt oh, of the Oh Betty Brandt of the eighties. Oh Betty Brandt of the eighties. She makes the Betty Brandt from the I I don't know. Her and Betty Brandt from the sixties go hand in hand with their evilness. <laughs> and and, and throughout all this all this and for no reason in the next room, I mean it's like just like lighting a cigarette and smoking and so, like, she gets the yeah. phone call from, from Ned. I proposed. I proposed to the Brands woman. Good. <laughs> good, good. The money. The money. The money is wired to your bank account. This was the account. <laughs> That's what he was doing in Europe. He was getting his money from the Swiss bank account. <laughs> yeah, Betty Brands, you did this to yourself. Like again, it, it is too little, too late. This, it's you. I've always. I, she should have just been straighter from the beginning. She should have like, you know what? I'm not letting you date Liz, so I'm not going to date Ned. Or I guess I'm dating Ned. I guess I shouldn't be so mad about Liz touching your hair since I'm dating another man. You know, I got to be more understanding. No, this oh, is. No. Oh. <laughs> she never ever ever realizes that though. She never like realized. You know what? I wasn't very fair to Peter. You know, open, openly having sex with this guy while he was you know in class at the time. Yeah. <laughs> she never. Like, that doesn't even cross her mind. No, she completely 
it just is completely goes off on chaos. She loves chaos. It's like she runs on chaos. She's like she's reality TV before reality <laughs> TV existed. <laughs> a reality show about Betty that would oh. I think that that would break my TV. Well, like issue nineteen says it all. <laughs> like you know, Betty has Betty has been keeping Peter out. You know, for the last two issues, like get away from me, get away from me. You were at a party with Liz Allen. Get away from me, get away from me. Hey, look, Peter, this is my new boyfriend. Oh, that's cool, Betty. What have I done? Why isn't he trying to date me? Like, that's like what her. She's like, what have I done? Have I really lost him? Could it be another girl? Like, oh, but, but then why did you behave this way? If you were worried about losing him, why did you send him away when he was running after you and calling you and not answering? Why were you not answering? Is it the issue twenty where um he says, now Betty, I don't have any right to 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 uh, say you don't you can't date other people, but I'm, she's oh no, oh no I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about. That. Let's let's not talk about that. Yeah, at this point, Peter's had enough, and for the rest of Ditko's run until like Peter like in, until Betty leaves. Like once Betty leaves, and at the end of Ditko's run, I mean, he goes back to being moony-eyed over her. But like from here on out, Peter's had enough. Betty keeps on trying to like you know set things straight with him, and he's like, "No, go away. I'm done. I have nothing left to say to you. You go, Peter. You go, you go, girlfriend. Yeah, it's about time you grew a pair." Yeah, he should have, like, the next thing he should have done was, like, walk on down to, like, whatever store, like, the hospital, I guess, as we found out, but, like, to the Dylan store, like, pick up Liz Allen and, like, give her the biggest kiss of, like, her life and be like, <laughs> that would be awesome. That felt good. Come on, we're getting out of here. Oh, Peter, where are we? Hey, Parker, get away from my girl. Peter, like, punches Flash, like, one punch and knocks him out. <laughs> Shut up, Flash. And then he goes to emo bangs and starts dancing in singles bars. Exactly. <laughs> okay, now, um, switching gears a little bit, but staying on this scene, all this uh, monologue that she gives about Spider-Man, it seems that her feelings about Spider-Man have changed just within Stan Lee's run since issue 11. So do you think that this is what later writers are picking up on? Because she is not a Spider-Fan at this point. Well, I think that they misinterpret it. I, don't, I, don't, I think here... She, she, I think, I think it's in her character to say she doesn't like the lifestyle Spider-Man leads. Not that she says I can't stand Spider-Man, but you know, just the idea that somebody doing that, she's not attracted to. I, it is, but people, I, I would, I would assume that that writers have looked at this and oh, well, duh, she hates Spider-Man. <laughs> Come on, guys, let's write about her hating Spider-Man. You know, could be. Yeah, I think that people more in line pull from issue eleven because it was just a few issues ago where she was trying to help Spider-Man. And she was mad at Peter for, like, trying to help destroy him. Oh, yeah, the Spider Slayer. That's just, like, last week. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I don't know. I, to me, this whole Scorpion thing is like, set off some events. Scorpion freaks her out. She goes into, you know, an emotional fit. When she wakes her from that emotional fit, Ned's, like, proposing to her. She doesn't know what to do with that, so she totally <laughs> botches the conversation with Peter. And that, you know, breaks them up. And she's talking about... Maybe this whole Spider-Man thing is a reaction to her emotional state from Scorpion. Like, she's just gotten so shaken up from the Scorpion that all she can think of is how much she hates, you know, being in the last action hero movie. Um, we, don't know, uh, we don't know where her mother is at this point because sometime between, like, um, a bunch of issues ago where, like, Untold Tales ended and her mother was in a nursing home, and in 289, when Peter says that Betty's mom has been dead for years, like, Betty's mom is dead at one point. So we don't know if that happened, like, around now, which is kind of when I always suspected it did. You know, because Betty, I, you know, leaves town freely in a few issues, which I don't think she would do if she was still taking care of her sick mother. But then again, she's done that in the past. 
<laughs> so, I mean, maybe this whole, like, you know, my mom's dead, the world's falling apart around me, hmm, this guy wants to marry me, maybe I should do it. Let me let me talk to Peter about this, and let me let me start it off by saying, you know, Ned wants to marry me. And we, we did make a big deal in previous issues about previous issues in previous episodes about how um, whenever Ned proposes, before she can say yes, she has to run it by Peter. Yeah, and Ned's aware of this. Like in future issues, like she says to Ned, "I need to talk to Peter before you know we do this." That's uh. A big red flag if your Ned leaves. If you're marrying a woman and she wants to run it by the other guy she's dating before she says yes to you, uh, that's not going to be a very strong yes. It might actually be a lowercase yes. (laughs) Written in small font. Well, that's why in issue 193, Ned knew right where to go to find Betty. Oh, yeah. yeah. He knew right where to go. This is like, so bad. Like, well, no, because, like, <laughs> basically, like, for, for, for those in listener land who don't know the full story, you know, in, in future episodes of Amazing Spider-Man classics that will be recorded, like, seven or eight years from now, or John's OCD, he actually knows. Yeah, five years from now. Stay tuned, um, true believer. Yeah, Betty shows up at Peter's apartment, and she's supposed to be on her honeymoon, and she tells Peter, oh, well, Ned's covering an assignment. He doesn't actually know that I left Europe. He still thinks that I'm at home waiting for him. But, yeah. Um, I don't want to be married anymore. Let's get back together. <laughs> so Ned, like, it, after Peter and Mary Jane, like, break up for good, Peter's like, oh, Mary Jane's gone. Oh, Betty, good. I'm glad to see you. Come into this apartment and let me hold you in a suggestive way that can be easily misinterpreted if your husband was to walk in at this exact moment. <laughs> and, Ned's like, and Ned's at Peter's apartment, and there's nothing to suggest that, like, he just got – he's looking for his wife. He comes home from his assignments. His wife is not there. It's not like – it doesn't sound like she left him a dear Ned note. So he knows, OK, I bet you she's in America with Peter. Why is John going silent for a minute? I don't know. I don't know. He's taking it all in. Maybe it's because yeah. – I don't know. He just knows that this recap's going to take a while. <laughs> OK. So, so this, yeah. Sorry, I'm back. So it ends with Ned Leeds punching Peter in the face. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, the whole Ned, Betty, Peter thing, it's not over, folks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's over. No, it ain't it, even over when we get to Ramita. It ain't over by a long shot. It takes a backseat <laughs> to issues. It seems like as Betty becomes, I'm not sure exactly how much longer she plays a major part in the story, but before too much longer, she becomes basically a background character. That we hardly ever think about. She's gearing up for her big return, though, in issue 184. (laughs) And she starts off by doing a very Betty thing, showing up in somebody's apartment when they're not home unexpected, waiting for them inside. She's lucky she didn't get shot. Peter Parker, I've been waiting for you. Yeah. So are are we done with the proposal scene? I think I'm good. Are you? Uh, not by a long shot, but, you know, I think we're making the move on. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, let's see. I need to look. Okay. Jonah paces back and forth. Well, enough. I, I need a transition. I can't just jump into it, I guess. Well, enough about proposals and Peter and tantrums for now. We cut to Jonah, who's in a tense emotional place of his own, pacing back and forth, jumping at every single phone call because he's afraid that it's news that Spidey captured the cat can't have that 
it's just Frederick Foswell saying that he has no progress yet, which, yeah, that'll tell Jonah that, you idiots. Jonah dreads the thought of Spidey capturing the cat even more. Peter is in the street moaning about how sh- about how Betty and Ned are going to live a peaceful married life. Oh boy, if he only knew. Until he hears a bank robbery <laughs> in broad daylight. We get another instant costume change, seriously, as Spider-Man foils the robbery. Turns out it's another gang hired by the cats, and his purple gang is jealous about it because the cat hired others, but they're kind of mad that the other people that cat hired got caught. It's really weird and confusing. And the cat speaks to them from a communicator, but we don't see him. And he says that Spider-Man must be dealt with soon. Aunt May gets out of bed when Peter comes home because she doesn't want him to know that she was dizzy and had to lie down because Peter's, you know, fragile. <laughs> Peter demands more apple pie. <laughs> really? Let's read you the dialogue. Aunt May, got any of that groovy apple pie left? Oh, yes, dear. It's in the fridge. Good. That's for me. Exactly <laughs> dialogue. That's for me. You're you like touch this me, woman, and you will pay. That's for me. And now we know Aunt May is. We know. We, we know that Aunt May's dizzy. We know that she's on her deathbed because, like, she must be not in her right mind because there is no way that the real Aunt May would ever say the following words. By the way, Peter, Betty Brand's called quite a few times. She asked me to be sure to have you call her when you came in. Is no, 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 no. She already got the report from <laughs> Ned. She knows where things stand. She's not threatened. <laughs> She's not threatened. <laughs> Peter stares at the phone angstily and decides that he has nothing left to say to that phone. Angstily. <laughs> <laughs> he has nothing left to say to Betty. <clears throat> the cat decides to plan one last score until the heat dies down. Then this he'll is do the time work. we actually finally see the cat out of costume. Yeah. I thought he was like an old man until this. And yeah. now he's, he's got red hair. This slub. Yeah, I thought so too, but that's because I was subconsciously influenced by Felicia's Hardy, by Felicia Hardy's father, the cat. I think I was Hardisky. too. But, um, but he's, he's actually nicknamed Red, although we don't find that out until um, however the heck long time it is until we see this guy again. <laughs> yeah, we see him like two more times maybe or one more time. Spectacular Spider-Man 47 in 1980. We'll talk about that more after the after the recap. I read that a long time ago. I remember liking it. So let's see. Yeah. So the cat's going to do one last score until the heat dies down. Then he'll do his previously mentioned plan to get rid of Spider-Man that he told his men about, or the master planners men. Who the heck knows? It, it's It doesn't make any sense. Foswell in his guise as the Patch is hanging out at some underworld haunts getting information about the cat and he calls Jonah telling him that he has some leads on his secret identity. Jonah hopes that this will cause the police to catch the cat before Spider-Man does. Now remember that plan that Aunt May and Anna Watson concocted earlier this issue while they were supposedly at the movies? It's time for it to spring into action. Aunt May leaves to visit Anna and ask Peter to come along because we all know that Mary Jane's probably waiting at the house at the door. But Peter declines. Secret plan failed. <laughs> on, on to plan B, I guess. Like, that was amazing. It's like he'll break up with Betty, and then he'll walk to the next door, and Mary Jane will be there. It's perfect. Peter, are you ready to come next door? No, not really. Curses! Here's a plan it ruined. <laughs> <laughs> 
so he, so Peter stays home alone, but the phone keeps on ringing, and like it makes him go crazy and leave the the house screaming because like it must be Betty calling. Oh, it's the end of issue one all over again. The chameleon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I was thinking like you know okay, taking away our whole like you know diabolical Aunt May subplot we've been playing, you know the the way this issue is written is she's been having fainting spells, right? So we the reader are supposed to think about how you know she could be dying, and she leaves the house, and then while she's gone, the phone starts ringing. This couldn't possibly be a, you know Anna Watson calling him to tell her that to tell him that Aunt May just collapsed or anything. She can just throw a rock at the window. That's the true, she could. Or send Mary Jane over to tell Peter. Right. That should have been the next plan. They're actually – that was their next plan. They're like, what do I do? It didn't work. Okay, you're going to call Peter. No, I'm going to call Peter, and I'm going to say that you've collapsed on the floor, and he's going to run over here, and then Mary Jane's going to answer the door. Start calling. He'll answer. You know, he's he, he always answers the phone. Mary Jane, Mary Jane, go stand by the door. Okay, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I get in there. Behind, behind the scenes, the missing panels of Amazing Spider-Man oh. number thirty. <laughs> we have this whole. <laughs> we have this whole thing. I, 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 I showed up to Peter's room and locks locks the door. We didn't write a freaking novel that, like you know, adapts the first you know fifty issues of Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> so then on page fifteen, there on that first panel, they see they're probably looking out the window and they see him running and they're like, "Oh, he's running! He's running this way! He's running!" No, All right, Mary Jane, get ready. And she opens the door. Way. Face it, Tiger! You just hit the. <laughs> he ran past me. <laughs> I have my black baby doll tea and everything ready to go. <laughs> Your day will come, MJ. Your day will come. Not this year, though. I'm not sure. <sighs> yeah. Wow. And we said that there's a whole world going on inside of Betty's head. We are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Betty's the kettle. Game. We're the pot. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of Betty, Spider-Man's hoping that if he keeps patrolling the city, he'll keep his mind off of Betty. The cat's doing his usual climbing up the side of the building, robbing, and someone's like, hey, what's going on here? Our windows were just washed yesterday. <gasps> Wait a minute. You're no window washer. You're the cat. And then the cat says, like, which is a line that he repeats a few times this issue, of all the crummy luck. So all of a sudden, the forces are gathering. Spotlights on the cat. The media's there. The big police spotlights are there. The police and Spider-Man are closing in. Jonah sees Spider-Man showing up on TV and loses his. And this is where John Wilson edits in stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Get away from there. Quit. Go away, Jonah says as he's pounding the TV. Why did this happen to me? Everything was going so well. Why am I always getting played by that webhead? Why, why, why? It's a very emotional issue for everyone. Yes. <laughs> Poor Jonah. <laughs> Everybody runs away. So Cat tries to fend Spider-Man off with his weapons, but he literally, when he knocks Spider-Man off the building, forgets that he can stick to walls. I forgot how agile he is. How he can cling to walls. Dude, he's Spider-Man. Yep. <laughs> it's Remember? kind of in the name. Yeah, you deserve to go out like a punk the way that you do. This isn't the Flash. This isn't, you know, the Human Torch. This is Spider-Man. <laughs> Get the costumes straight. The water tower topples on top of the, that's on top of the building after Cat sets it off in the explosion. Spider-Man dodges it just like on the cover and then decides that it probably didn't kill anybody. 
he literally decides that. He's like, huh, it's a good thing that there's no one on that street below, probably. <laughs> not like I'm going to check. Yeah, no one's apt to be injured below. It's it's not likely to happen, so I'll just keep on going. <laughs> the cops are closing in, though, and the bullets start flying in a classic Steve Ditko uh, gangster and, and cop fighting sequence. Well, there's only one gangster in this place. Spider-Man decides that bullets are too risky and ducks out of the rest of the fight. The but cat- water towers aren't. No, they're not. He, he fell into mm. one. Issue two. The cat creates a smoke screen and hides in the chimney where he is a sitting duck for the cops. Spider-Man takes some pictures of the capture, hoping he'll get some money because, you know, in fact, let me read to you what Spider-Man says because he contradicts it like later that page. Though I sure hate to see that lucky guy, being Jonah, get off the hook with the reward so easily. Jonah's relieved because I guess he doesn't have to pay the cops the reward money for some reason. I don't know because later says that he saved their reward money. So Peter shows up at the bugle. Oh, and look who's there. Peter, <laughs> I've been hoping you drop by. I simply must talk to you. Why bother, Betty? He's the kind of guy you want, so just leave wait, it Wait, 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 wait. You, you got cut out. So uh, why bother Betty again? Why bother Betty? There's nothing more for us to say. Leeds proposed to you, and he's the kind of guy you want. So let's just leave it at that. Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad, Parker. Not bad. (laughs) Yeah, right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Of course, they're not worth much in cold cash, but I can afford to be generous, seeing I saved the reward money. Pay me whatever you want to, Mr. Jameson. I don't care. Nothing seems to matter much anymore. You idiot! (laughs) Nothing seems to matter. And so we take our leave of Peter Parker for now. As he and the girl he loves go their separate ways, both tragically kept apart by the mysterious ever-present figure whom the world known only as Spider-Man. Way to spell out the art there, Stanley. This is is what it means when the ghost of Spider-Man stands between two people with his arms spread apart. And and, and he's like, his head's down, he's like, I'm sorry, but you just can't. No. Betty, I'm sorry, but talk to the hand. <laughs> okay, going back to that one one panel ago though, he he's been all he's wanted the whole issue was the reward money, and it's not like Betty breaking up with him made his change his mind because even after Betty and him like you know broke up or like supposedly it's complicated the way that this breakup works, but even after they had their fight, he's still like, well, I could use that reward money, and then a few panels ago he's like, I hate to lose that reward money. Jonah's like, hey, <laughs> I got some extra. You want some more money? He's like, nah. No thanks. Because Betty's marrying Ned, I don't care if I get evicted or if Aunt May can't afford her heart medication. You know, just, just, just pay me whatever you want. What a lapse in judgment. Yeah. So, the cat, pretty awesome villain, yeah. No. No. Not at all. <laughs> Sorry. Jonah, Betty, and Peter make this issue. Yes. Yeah, otherwise this is worthless. I mean, this is one of those issues that is a character story that has a bad guy in thrown for kicks, because that's the trope of the medium. Yeah. That that last splash page where Peter's like, where Spider-Man's like pushing them away, that that's reused a lot. This is the first time that's done. And in fact, is this the first one? Because I thought we'd have actually seen it before already. I don't think so. Like, 
pushing like to like it does that with Gwen and it does that with there's even a stupid one. I, I really hated this one because it was so corny. Back when they were pushing the whole Peter Parker is unemployed, just like you guys. Check out the adventures of unemployed Peter Parker. There's one where at the end, like Peter misses a job interview. So it's like the shadow of Spider-Man pushing Peter away from a bag of cash. <laughs> I, <remember laughs> that. I hated that. I remember that. Even if he got the job that he was interviewing for, it wasn't going to be that much cash as, as was in the bag. Right, right. Okay, I'm sorry. I was flipping through issues to see if I could find another one, but I'll do that later. Um, you can put it in the others note. Okay. I got another one on uh, page uh, 18. The top panel, uh, Spider-Man has the wrong arm on, on that little bar of the building. Look at where his thumb is. It's his right arm. Oh, he did the hand wrong. That's Steve Ditko. He can't draw feet or hands. <laughs> Actually, well, I was Steve looking at um, some commentary on Steve Ditko's art recently, and the guy had a lot to say on how Steve Ditko draws hands. Like, if you see the hands of somebody's character, you can tell if it's Steve Ditko, because, I don't know, I guess it's it's really interesting with, like, web swinging and with uh, Doctor Strange hex casting. But he, like, he does the whole, like, you know, two fingers out and then two middle fingers curled in. Um, and he does. So let's talk about the purple guys. Well, yeah, I, I, I have some theories, but I want to hear y'all's first. Well, I got one thing here. On page three, on the bottom panel where they're uh, walking across the plank from truck to truck, how long is that plank? And where the heck did they put that in the truck? <laughs> <laughs> that plank is, is, is what? It looks like it's definitely a lot longer than their truck, the back of the truck. So where the heck did they have that thing? That is a good question, sir. <laughs> Only the cat could have planned it. Only the cat could have planned it. They pulled it out of science. Um, yeah. Obviously, I guess they were planning the master... I mean, maybe the master planner storyline was planned, but there was something... Maybe Stan forgot that it was not going to be the cat, and he, like, wrote himself into a corner in this issue, like, oh, yeah, uh, the cat's man, right? You can always say that the incontinuity explanation is that they were working for... Uh, the master, the cat, and then they went to work for the master planner after the cat got arrested. The other explanation that was used in some Marvel source books was that this was just like a, a typo like Peter Palmer, and that whenever they're saying uh, cat, just pretend that they're saying master planner. But the problem is, when the cat says over the communicator, then we'll deal with Spider-Man once and for all, he does do a callback to that when he's in his lair, like, and then I'll deal with Spider-Man after I do my last big score. Mm-hmm. Okay, here are my two theories. Uh, my out-of-box theory is that they didn't have the Master Planner story planned out. That Steve Ditko was mailing in his artwork, and that Stanley assumed that the Purple Guys were working for the cat, even though Ditko knew otherwise, because he knew what he, story he was going to tell next. That's one plot. That, that, you know, so Stanley just did the best he could. There's never actually a moment in the story where we see the Purple Guys working for the cat. They never actually interact with one another. The cat's doing his thing. The purple guys are doing their thing. Even whenever they call in on the monitor, we don't see to whom they're actually speaking. They say to other people, hey, only the cat could have planned this, and <laughs> the cat should have used his own gang. You know, and We're working for the cat, just in case you wanted to know for whom we're working, because it's not really a secret supervillain. That's my, that's my in-the-box theory, is that 
the master planner's doing his thing, and the first phase of his plan was to have these guys, you know, while they're out about in public, you uh, planning false leads in case it were to get back to the cops. You know that there was a gang of purple guys running around. That they're he's they're actually working for the cat. And then later on, of course, once the cat gets caught, you know, plans change and everything. But um, mm. but yeah, I, I I don't think Stanley knew that the master planner was coming up next ish. Well, you they planted the thing in the dialogue uh, a few issues ago where it was like, yes, uh, the cat burglaries and the science equipment. So if Stanley oh, yeah. was writing the dialogue, there had to be an inkling of at least like that the next few of what the next few issues would be. Right, but how much of an inkling? Right. We also so, set up the whole Aunt May thing. That's, that's been set up in a couple issues before this. The Aunt May sickness? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely had several subplots being set up. Um, well, that, well that, that is the plot of the Master Plan. Like, Peter, the only reason Peter's against Master Planner really is to, is to save Aunt May. We never see the cat when he's alone referred to the men, though. So, like, if you wanted to do in continuity explanation, you could say that Octopus was pretending that he was the cat at first. Whoops. That's one of the many explanations, but, like, it was canon for a while that this was just, like, a Peter Palmer thing, and that, uh, you know, whenever they say cat, just pretend it's Master Planner, because I have an old source book where they say, first appearance, the cat's men, I mean, the Master Planner's men, mistakenly referred to as the cat's men throughout the issue. Interesting. But then... It works a few different ways. Like, you know, there's a you, you could pretend that they were the cat's men and that they went to work for the planner, or that the planner was lying, or... It doesn't really make sense in the context of the story to replace the cat with the master planner because then you have no clue what that's all about. That if, you know, the cat is obviously the villain of the story and then you have these purple guys saying they're working for the master planner, that would happen in like a modern comic where you have multiple subplots being followed at different speeds. But back in the 60s, it would be really out of place to have that kind of thing going on. There is no master planner in the story, so to have characters refer to him is a bit weird. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I can see why they would say that. I can see why they would do that, because they want to cover their mistakes and everything, but I don't think that actually works in the story. Never know. And you're right. I just went through every issue of Amazing Spider-Man we've covered to date. And the whole Spider-Man standing between two things, pushing them apart, has not been used before. I seriously thought I had seen it before, but no, I was wrong. Well, you probably right. after this, so you may have, yeah, it's easy to think about it. There was something else in the story that was done that made me think of the fact that Stanley didn't really know what was going on with the art whenever he wrote the dialogue, but now I can't remember what it was. I made a comment about it earlier as we were talking, too. Oh, well. Uh, let's go page by page. No, it's okay. It's no big <laughs> deal. I completely forgot that Liz is in this issue because of the petty thing. I was flipping around like, oh yeah, Liz was in this issue. <laughs> Would have been funny, like, if Betty had seen Peter and Liz when she, like, looked out her window. And when she comes up, she's like, okay, I can use this as leverage. She's like, Peter, I just saw you talking to Liz Allen, and I just want you to know that I trust you. I know that nothing happened. So just remember that. You know, hold on to that moment when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> so I'm thinking about marrying another guy. 
What? You promised you weren't going to get mad. <laughs> uh, Peter and Betty, like, it's hard. It, with Mary Jane, you can, like, pinpoint they broke up in issue 193. With Felicia, they broke up in issue 100 and Spectacular, and then he again in 129. Yeah, with him and Betty, it, it was like a process. Because, like, at this point, Peter just checks himself out of the relationship. And then, like, Betty like, and You know and, what? And Go have fights. a good life. Yeah. He just kind of checks out. But, like, the relationship doesn't really, like, get closure until uh, the Ramita run. So th- it was like a breakup that lasted maybe 13 issues or something. Well, the last the really significant thing I remember is I think it's the Kirby issue where Betty wakes up with that nightmare of Peter revealing that he's Spider-Man. That's the last thing I remember before she leaves and doesn't, repeat, doesn't come again until the, until the Ramita run. That is when she leaves and some issues, like uh, – like I, I used to read the source books and they would have timelines and like when they would do timelines, they'd always say like Peter and Mary Jane broke up in 193. Peter, you know, lost, you know, got his arms in issue 100. But for Peter and Betty's breakup, they would always list different issues. Sometimes it was this one. Sometimes it was uh, issue 35 where like, you know, he sees the picture and throws it away at the end of the issue. And sometimes it was the Ramita issue where they have coffee. So what other thoughts do we have on this story? Uh, I've got a couple. Go through them. Um, Not like, you know, go, 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 but just, you know. Page six, the panel with uh, Foswell. Uh, this is something that Stan has done over and over that, for whatever reason, this bugs me. Uh, you see him there holding his patch mask. His his super secret uh, interrogation <laughs> mask in a, in a win- with an open window. Is that where you're going at? Well, no, no. It's just the fact that can when he goes out to bars to try to question people and get information from people, can no one tell he's wearing a mask? I mean, it's not like it's some like you know high tech makeup or anything like that. It's just a, a mask, right? So I mean, he goes to these places and he's talking to people, getting information, buying people beers for information. Uh, these people can't tell that they're talking to a face of plastic or, or rubber. Why would they be able to? Everyone knows that criminals have poor eyesight. Yeah, but I mean, Stan has done this several times, like when uh, the Kingpin's son um, was Girl. pretending to be a schemer, wearing a mask. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't tell that this this person's face is not moving while they talk, <laughs> and rubber is flapping. Well, you got to remember. Yeah. You got to remember and, that Clark Kent wears glasses. Superman doesn't wear glasses. They're oh, different it's people. So obvious now. But the funniest thing <laughs> where, it's, where this gets just really completely corny, as far as the Stan's idea of I, I, concealing people's identities like this, there um, there's a couple issues of Captain America. It was when they first introduced the Falcon in uh, 117 and 118, and Steve Rogers is on an island where he meets the Falcon, but because he doesn't have his mask on, he doesn't want to be recognized. So he, he dips down to this uh, little lake and pulls up some mud and sticks it all over his face to make a fake nose and fake facial features out of mud. And nobody says anything. Nobody recognizes his hey, Look at this guy. He's walking around with mud all over his face. Nobody suspects anything. It's not dark. Okay. Mud, it's like flesh tone mud. 
I, I mean, I don't get it. I guess in comic books, people can conceal their identity like that so easily. I mean, just it's so easy. It's just slapping mud on your face. Right, <laughs> right. So that's one thing about Patch and Foswell that always bugged me. It also kind of bugs me that like Foswell gets an entirely different shape to his skull when he's wearing the patch. Yeah. Because um, he, he has a very long, narrow head. Ever since he came back from jail... Foswell has had a very long, narrow head. I don't know what happened to him in jail to make that happen, but Please you know. Stop we'll repeating just... long, narrow head. <laughs> Is oh. that bothering you? <laughs> For the love of God, you said it like twice and you emphasized it. You're like long, narrow head. So whenever he puts on the patch mask, he no Are longer you... has a long, narrow head. He now has, you know, a more short, roundish head. And, uh... <laughs> like a mushroom. Are you so having he, confusing thoughts, Josh? Feelings you never felt before? Frederick Foswell messed up my sexuality. <laughs> For all time. Uh, this uh, something else. <laughs> on page 11, too, when uh, Peter announces in public really loud, it's time that he needs to go get to work uh, as Spider-Man. Um, that, that's not odd to anybody. They probably this is what I need! Action! Work for Spider-Man! And they got kind of the bottom right corner of the panel is like, uh, what? Yeah, he's like looking around. Did he just say he's Spider-Man? And does that look like a Gil Kane Peter Parker to you? Very much so. Yes. Kind of, yeah. Most definitely. Wait, Peter Parker on uh, panel three or, or Spider-Man? Uh, panel four of page 11, this first panel of the second row. That Peter Parker looks like a um, Gil Kane Peter to me. Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, you have the same eye for as I do, yes. As Gil Kane always over the facial features. But when he was eaten by John Romita Sr., it was awesome. Oh my god, yeah, definitely. It was what? What was the adjective you used? Awesome. Like, like, like that's, the, that's, that's the art team on the, uh, of uh, Death of Gwen Stacy, uh, Gil Kane, John Romita Sr. Like, that's the best yeah. Kane will ever, will ever, was ever... He's dead now. That's how it, in my opinion, that's the best he ever was. In fact, uh, this is a total tangent, but um, in my John Romita uh, senior uh, dedication book, uh, John Romita said that he literally would redraw. Re- like the, you know, on page uh, or issue one twenty three, like the funeral of Gwen Stacy, he re- he redrew that entirely because uh, he was the art director of Marvel, and Gil Kane's like just raw pencils just weren't what uh, Stanley wanted the the books to be. So he like. You'll see a lot of like Gil Kane's. Like you can see some of his posing and stuff. Part because they kept like laid out some of the breakdowns, but most of the time when it, when it's inked by John Romita Senior, it's drawn by John Romita Senior, and it's actually very obvious. Death but, of Gwen uh, Stacy storyline. It, it it looked very uh, Romita esque. That was that was Romita. It's kind of like Sal Buscema. Whenever he inks someone else, his own style creeps into the inking a lot. Right. Oh crap! I'm not on power. Um, plug it in. Plug it in. Plug, yeah, it, plug in. it in. What else did you have, Mister Eddie? That is it. Don, you have uh, any specific notes for the issue? They haven't well, already come out. No, well, not not specific notes because I, I I agree that the, the, the sticking point for this is the Betty scene. But uh, I mean, Peter is mad at her, but he also he's also he's he's also he says he says on page eleven. I don't forget about the girl I love, and it's kind of like you know, 
that that's it's a little more complex than just oh, but he was a bitch, so I'm mad at her now. I mean, he probably should be just be mad at her, but like it's very uh, it's well, kind of had feelings for her. It's it, it's a mixture of emotions. I mean, there's anger, yeah. there's regret, there's rejection. Yeah, I really love like Peter just looking across those pages, the slow burn, and and finally the outburst that he goes through. I mean, we we have yeah. our our you know our running jokes with the show and everything, but this was Peter's first girl. This was the first time that he had like a long term relationship with a woman. Yeah, Betty did some crazy things, but you know this is a big deal for Peter that like as he's been trying to find ways to let her into his life and trying to figure out how to confess to her that he's Spider Man. Suddenly, this other guy comes out of flipping nowhere goes away to Europe and comes back out again from flipping nowhere, and now all of a sudden, she's ready to marry him. And he doesn't know why. He doesn't know what's going on. And so, yeah, this 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 little bit in page 11, just those couple of panels really kind of bring that out a little bit. Oh, and he, you know, he lost his mother, so he already has, you know, women issues. And then the only other, like, close female relationship in his life is his Aunt May, so... We all know I mean, how she is. I mean, his understanding <laughs> and issues with women, it's uh they're probably really lackey. big. I mean, and then you know, he needs a you know, he needs someone to show him the way and his first girlfriend winds up being someone like Betty Brandt and poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, if you look at it that way cuz like that's what he did with Daredevil cuz Daredevil his mother wasn't around when he was young and like he brings and he just has his really strict relationships with women. Like Kevin Smith actually brought that, like brings it's like, you know, you, you really have a message with women, do you know that? He's like, what are you saying? I'm a misogynist? No, but it's just it's just not really healthy. And like if you look at it that way, Peter, who is an orphan and has like an uh, as an elderly aunt taking care of him and a single family household, uh, as he, as he's getting ready to move on to to young adulthood, it's actually very screwed up psychologically. And it's, it's on top of the fact that he's a superhero. <laughs> and he has extreme guilt issues. Yeah. In fact, like because of his extreme guilt issues, he probably like, th- and he does. Looking back, he does. He thinks to this day that it's his fault that his relationship with Betty Brandt ended, not because of Betty's crazy stuff. Like in issue one hundred, you know, when he's doing his whole trippy flashback, he's oh, blaming yeah. he's blaming on Spider Man. And then before that, like somewhere in the eighties issues, you know, uh, when when the Beetle kidnaps Aunt May, he blames Spider Man for, like. <sighs> He has it, such extreme guilt issues that, like, he, he won't realize that, you know, maybe it's Betty's fault that the relationship ended. Like, no, he blames it on himself. And if we go over to page um, to nine for a second, um, we were talking earlier about the conversation, and Dawn brought out that, you know, she sounds like she's working towards a confession of love before Peter has an outburst. But it could also be taken as that last panel, that's what first attracted me to you, Peter. You were so studious and so sincere. You were a good student, a hard worker. You even worked at school. Um, So he could have been taking it as you used to be all these good things. And now, even though she doesn't know this, your life as Spider-Man has changed you so much that you can't be the man I want to be with anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, no, he has a deep, dark secret that he won't share. He has a deep, dark secret that he'll never share. (laughs) It's all the fault of that deep, dark secret, you know, not – not 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 your promiscuous promiscuity, <laughs> you know, which which would later plague both her mar- her marriage to Ned Leeds and her relationship with Flash Thompson and other stuff. <sighs> but why do you even like call her on this? I, why why 
why does anybody like, like look around and say like, Jonah, somebody like like who knows Betty Brand's history is like you know, you know what? Kind of a bitch, you know that. <laughs> Shouldn't we just but, call know, her out on that really high? Shouldn't we call her out on that really high collar she's wearing in that scene? <laughs> we can always oh, do like yeah. a special episode called the intervention of Betty Brands, where like we all <laughs> it'll be our highest rated episode yet. <laughs> well, you won't be on there because you'll be playing Betty Brand. Uh, I'll, I'll be cutting. I'll, I'll be pulling a carnage from Trial of Peter Parker like, <laughs> between like Betty and myself. <laughs> Josh, did you have any other specific notes you wanted to pull out um, that you didn't do in your recap? Uh, nothing in particular. I mean. You, talk about this issue for hours in fact we yeah. have but i mean <laughs> there, there there there'd still there'd still be a lot to say uh i like i like the joe I, I talked about in the recap i like the jonah thing where he's imagining peter in the mask and Ugh. yeah four years ago when i was uh, rereading all these essentials in my freshman year uh in between classes i remember feeling bad for betty <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. why well, yeah why <laughs> I, it never. I don't know why. It never occurred to me. I mean, it kind of like it did register. Like, why is she dating Ned so openly and being mad at him? But it didn't really stick with me until until now, when I'm older and wiser and more angry. Well, I have to confess that Amazing Spider-Man, as seen through the eyes of Joshua Lapp and Bertoni, has been an intriguing experience for me. That I never would have gotten out of these issues what I have gotten doing this show. Thanks, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just to you know, back up Don here that you know it's it's you know, <laughs> I felt sad for Betty. I, I've I've seen their relationship in more you know, normalistic viewpoints instead of the psycho normalcy that it really is. Um, but but yeah, so I can see why you might feel bad for Betty. She's trying to trying to talk to Peter, and he just flies off the handle at her. Well, you know, where was Betty when Peter wanted to talk in issue 18? Where was (laughs) Betty when, where was Betty at Peter's graduation? Okay, no, that, that, when when we we went over that last episode, that, when we we were sitting that, that was, that really made me mad. Like, are you serious? You didn't even show to us, like. But it's not her, it's the deep dark secret is keeping. The deep dark secret kept her from starting her car. She's like, oh, I, I tried to drive to your graduation, Peter, but every time I turned the key in the ignition, your deep dark secret kept my key from like making the engine. If I, if, if I didn't flee, flee before I, my, if I didn't flee in time, my deep dark secret would have blown my car. Yeah. <laughs> Peter, if I don't date Ned, your deep dark secret, you know, will <laughs> it will destroy both of us. I mean, granted, she's on the handle with this whole deep dark secret business. I mean, she, you know, she does know, but you know, she's she's using it as the scapegoat. So I've got a question, and I, I don't think I've ever read this or not. Does Betty ever actually find out that Peter is Spider-Man at any point? Yeah, so, so the unmasking. Oh well, I meant before that. Obviously, everyone finds out at that point. But I mean, is there some? storyline somewhere where she kind of puts two and two together or something happens where she finds out kind of like she the way how they retconned that mj knew ever since she was a teenager she, the only time she put two and two together was two and together with flash thompson oh no oh. She, she does have that dream in issue 34 where that peter says that he's spider-man but she you know dismisses it as hogwash um and then in the cult of love she actually unmasked spider-man 
when he's trying to like you know rescue her from the cult, but his face is obscured, so she never sees it's Peter. Yeah, I mean, in, in Civil War, when he, when like they they talk about the unmasking, Betty does say that like it made her whole life all of a sudden make sense. Oh, for once. <laughs> well, all of a sudden the deep dark she and Flash are the only people like not really mad at him. Everybody was like, Liz nearly tried to kill him. Jonah obviously wanted to beat the crap out of him, but like, Jonah sued him. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So I just have a couple of lines I wanted to pull out of the issue and then we'll move on to other things. Um There was a really cool callback to issue twenty six and seven on page eight when he dives into the apartment thinking that he's good in the cat burglar and he says, what happened to your cat costume? Did it shrink when you washed it? I have that same problem. Whack. Oh, uh, that was pretty good. I always like nods to continuity, especially because they're, well, they're becoming okay. decreasingly rare as, as the issues have gotten tighter. But, um, also on this page at the bottom, whenever he lies to flash about where Liz is and he says in his head, you'll change your mind. Uh, your Neanderthal mind when you find out I lied to you, sonny boy. And I'm just thinking, Flash lives in your neighborhood. I'm sure that the fact that you lied to him about where his girlfriend works is never going to come back and bite you in the ass. <laughs> what, what, what was Flash going to do? Beat him up? Why isn't anyone calling the police? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's stalking this poor girl. It's he's literally hiding behind the, the brick wall as she's talking to Peter. And yeah, how, how creepy does no he look one. in that panel? His gun. I have one other. I just need to find it. Where did it go? Where did it go? Peter, this issue has everything. Peter tells off <laughs> Eddie. Flat, Peter date rapes Flash. Liz becomes a prostitute. And Aunt May and Anna Watson spring their Mary Jane plan into action. All this. And Spider-Man's mask gets a mouth? I just want to say that. <laughs> that is so creepy. God, I'm looking at it right now. Like, like that, that never looks right. Like it's it's even scarier than Venom. Like it looks so eerie. My other last line that I just I just thought was cool was on page four, the last panel when he's prowling around for uh, the the purple gang after punching them out. He says, um, "No sign of them. They can't stay hidden from me for long. I eat my crunchies and brush after every meal. I'm sure to win out in the end." And that's just that's just classic Spidey right there. I just thought that was great. He's not even showing off for a team. I mean, for a villain or anything. He's just you know being funny in his own head. He should be a stand-up comic someday. Uh, that's where Josh says, he, "Oh wait, 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 yeah, wait!" Yeah. Untold tales. Yeah, he's where, right. Uh, that no, not untold tales. In uh, in an issue of, in fact, let me pull it up because I just posted on Crawl Space recently. Yeah, I know. That's where I got it from. Spoil. Yeah, spoiler alert. He bombed. <laughs> He bombed big time. It was in Peter Parker, uh, Volume 2, at one point. Uh, probably around the issue 30s or something. I don't know. It's My okay. internet's being slow. So, so, so just be aware that it happened and that Peter failed miserably. <laughs> so let's look at the cat. Um, the cat has an interesting history, as we all know. Even though she's just called the cat here, next time she, she? shows up, she's the cat woman. And she and Bruce have this femme fatale pseudo-romance thing going for years. Oh, wait, yeah. Wait a minute. That's wrong not the cat. Wrong cat. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yuck, yuck, So, uh, but we do see the cat burglar again. We mentioned it earlier. Um, he will take on a real-life nickname of Red, 
or maybe he already called Red, and we just find out later. And the villain identity of the Prowler in the Spectacular Spider-Man issue number 47 in 1980. Not the same Prowler that you guys know. You know, he becomes like the second. Yeah, he's like Prowler 2 or something. But he is the Prowler. I think Belladonna was also in that issue, if I recall. It's been... Man, I remember reading all those old Spectacular Spider-Man. Those were great. Possiblemente. No lo, no lo recuerdo precisamente. But, um... I don't remember precisely. Jiggly, bin glabbing day. So, moseying on over to the spider's web. Because the letters columns are always fun. Um, we do have a letter from Mr. Richard McCabe that I wanted to read part of. He says, Dear Stan... I've been following Spider-Man ever since its conception, and I felt the quality of its stories was far above any other. But now, my faith is faltering. You have cluttered this mag up with insignificant hoods. The Green Goblin, Frederick Foswell, Jonah's rob- robot were pretty silly. Please get off this kick. He's fighting the Hulk, the Avengers, Doctor Doom, and his joining with Daredevil all were excellent. To compare the crumb called the Crime Master, or one of those masters of menace to these epics, is futile. Bring back the Scorpion. He was great. Anyway, he goes on with some other stuff, and it's just like, I don't think Oh, no, he, he says at the end, I enjoyed them all, but lately you've been giving us just a soap opera. Well, Richard, <laughs> check out this issue that your letter is in. <laughs> you love it. Oh, that's just like salt on the wound. I, don't I like think the letter... <laughs> I like the letter before that where the guy just complains about the way everyone's dressed. <laughs> I do declare. Let's see, what does he say? Is it the Larry Goka letter or the Manuel Palau letter? Oh, Larry Goka. He, he wishes Flash Thompson would change his sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and that Betty and Liz would develop better tasting clothes. Flash I don't like the way Steve Nick What would you say, Don? He does wear like, the exact same clothes like a cartoon character, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he really does. When he's not wearing an initial sweater. He says, I don't like the way Steve Ditko draws females. Sometimes they're all right, but other times they're not. Well, just wait for Ramita. He'll give you all the curves you like. Um, Carrie Bird had a letter. He says, you're beginning to turn Spider-Man into a love mag. I'm not against love, but it takes up half the mag. Let me give you an example, Liz. Hello, Petey. Goodbye, Petey. Your tie is crooked, Petey. Peter, hello, Liz. Meet Betty Brant. Of course, Liz. Sure, Betty. And Betty says, hello, Miss Allen. Yes, we've met. Goodbye, Miss Allen. Yeesh. In Spider-Man number 25, the action didn't start until page 11. That's pretty far to read where you find some excitement. So I'm for no more love. I'm for action. (laughs) And the the response is funny. They're like, listen, Carrie, um, any guy who thinks that Hello, Petey, your tie's crooked, meet Betty Brant, goodbye, Miss Allen, represents love, would certainly prefer action. <laughs> so we're with you all the way, pal. It's kind of like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I'm not sure it was a compliment it's at basically all. basically telling him to get, a, to get a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, here's another one. Dear Stan and Steve, this is from Edward Fabrega. This is the last one I'm going to read. Um... I read Stan. I read Stan. I read Spider-Man number twenty-six. Actually, read. Stupid, spelled the same way, pronounced different ways. Things. I read Spider-Man number twenty-six, and it was pretty good. I say pretty good because it could have been much better. This is, by the way, the first half of the Crime Master story. 
Also, there is one request which I want to make known to you. After revealing the story behind Frederick Foswell in issue number 27, get rid of this mystery jazz. In number 26, there was not enough action. I almost dozed off. I hope you don't bring back old supervillains. Instead, I hope you dream up new ones. Even though I stated that the story could have been better, I think the artwork was superb. The cover was especially good. One fan stated that he liked your competitors' mags better than yours? If so, how come he buys Marvel? And as for competitors, fellas, you don't have any. Shut up. (laughs) I was was thinking like... I almost fell asleep reading your comic. Oh, shut up. (laughs) I hope hope you fall asleep when you start your car in the garage. (laughs) But then Stan replies with, We know it, Ed, and you know it, but somebody's publishing all those mags we see on sale after hours are sold out. And it just continues the whole thing that Stan has now where he's going to start ragging on DC and kind of bothers me but it's not going anywhere for a long time so i should probably get over it yeah it's playful yeah it's, it's not it's not spiteful as is i uh, think it's, it's sometimes not saying did you know that did you know that uh uh julius schwartz ran over a kid with his truck julius oh, schwartz wait. ran over a kid laura bush killed a guy sorry Family guy. So, um, <laughs> family guy. Here's your chance to prove how loyal you are to old Spidey. Without us telling you anything about Next Dish, let's see if you all be sure to buy it. Remember, we're putting you to a test now. For all you know, we may be scaring you. Anyway, to meet again next month. Keep your webs untangled and your spirits high, and be sure to wave when we all march by. Face front. I take it back, John. They didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> um, there were some good ads this issue. Ads for more triumphs for Marvel. Fantastic Four number forty-four is called "The Gentleman's Name Is Gorgon." This begins the story that will eventually introduce the Inhumans to the Marvel universe. Good stuff there. Oh yeah, that was fun. When Johnny like sees a woman and he's like, I love her so much. Weed, you must find a way to break that barrier. <laughs> so I can be with my true love. I saw something today that reminded me of the Human Torch Crystal stuff and I couldn't mention it because no one in the crowd would have re- realized what I was talking about. But now I can't remember what it was and so it's going to just Bye. die. Damn. Okay. Um, Daredevil number 10 has Daredevil up against um, Catman Frogman, Birdman, and um, Ape Man. Oh, that's a classic. <sighs> Remember when I said I love old Daredevils? Not, so built, uh, not that well, one. <laughs> <laughs> not that one. Better than the Wizard. Better than the. Uh, um, no, no, no. Who was that one Daredevil villain I couldn't stand? You had to fight someone until the Kingpin showed up. Yeah. There's the Purple Man, there's Mr. Fear, there's the Gladiator. Stilt Man, Mass Marauder. Mass Marauder. We're going to talk about the Mass Marauder on this show. And Stilt Man. Those both mm-hmm. have Spider-Man in them. Um, the cover of Strange Tales number 138 features the Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. story, Sometimes the Good Guys Lose. It is a chapter in the series opening serial between Fury and Hydra that went for several issues. And another ad for all the 1965 Marvel annuals. 
the third Fantastic Four annual, the second Amazing Spider-Man and Marvel Tales annuals, and the first Sergeant Fury and Journey into Mystery annuals. And that wraps up issue number 30. So that puts us Amazing Spider-Man 30 issues down, 616 to go. Woohoo! 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 Next issue. <laughs> On May, figure step that working too hard will give you a heart attack, a cack, a cack, a But you want to know by now? <laughs> the cat's you want to know by now? <laughs> The cat's men are disappointed that their fearless leader had such a stupid plan that he got caught. So they decide that they need to work for someone who's a better master planner. Oh. <laughs> that was very slim. Betty tells Ned, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold this proposal thing. I got to talk to my other boyfriend first. Peter Parker starts college and meets three people, one who will clone him, one who will date him. No, no, I'm sorry. One who will clone him. One who will be his best friend, and one who will sleep with said best friend's dad. Nice. <laughs> but not with Peter. Not with Peter. Uh, we um, I'll I'll do a closing end tag. So we're we're basically kind of done. No 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 we're not no we're not no we're not. Wow. So we want to say thank you so much to Mr. Eddie D'Angelini. Thank you so much. It has been an amazing time with you these last couple of episodes. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I had a great time. I, you know, I just got to say I have a new respect for the fact that you guys do this all the time because, uh, um, I mean, you guys have a level of energy that is through the roof when you guys just talk for hours about these uh, issues. And the recap and Josh's uh, Betty Brand impersonation, I mean, you guys just you <laughs> Oh, thank it. you. <laughs> so all to say i i really enjoyed it uh these several issues that i sat in on and um again thanks so much for inviting me give me some good ones man these are some pretty pretty interesting oh, stuff oh, no, no, i'm kidding at 30 the last one that's like the topper <laughs> so there is a facebook page for the documentary that you have helped to create um yes give us the title again it's called With Great Power, The Stan Lee Story. And that is uh, the official name of the documentary. And if you do a search on Facebook for With Great Power, it will come up. And they can, if and they the, like that page, they'll get news about release information when it becomes available. We know that there's not any news on that front right now, right? Not at the moment, no. Uh, but hopefully there will be soon. So if uh, you like that page, you will be kept up on any news. And in fact, there's also... Um, just a quick side note about Stan. If you go to the page and like it, um, on that page, one of the posts is um, also for another Facebook page, which is uh, to get Stan Lee to host Saturday Night Live. Oh, so, that would be so awesome. Yeah, I mean, it started off as just a little thing from fans, but now the producers of the Stanley documentary have gotten wind of it, and now they want to start pushing that because for some reason – they want to get in on that and they want to see Stan um, host Saturday Night Live. So like both of those fan uh, Facebook pages. All right. So that is With Great Power, the Stanley story, and Correct. there's a link from that also, page to the Stanley for Saturday Night Live page. 
Correct. And basically, you can just go to withgreatpower.biz. That's the official website for the documentary. And that pretty much will take you everywhere. The Facebook page, the Twitter page, anywhere else. Okay. Thank you so much, Eddie, for being on the show. Thank you. And thanks once again go to Eddie D'Angelini for all that he brought to the last two episodes of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. And apologies also to him for the delay in this episode being brought to you. But I think it was a good one. It is our longest yet. And like I said at the beginning of the show, that was partly to make up for the long absence we had. And also, you know, just kind of give you a little treat of seeing what some of the things are that get cut from the show. Some of the things I have to do to make the show flow smoothly that eventually get edited out so that you just get the smooth show. So, Christmas treat for you, or, you know, regular old Saturday treat if you don't celebrate Christmas. Next episode, we have the Master Planner Saga, beginning with Amazing Spider-Man issues 31 and 32, featuring guest co-host Scott Gardner of Two True Freaks. So look for that around my original planned schedule of the 10th of the month the 10th and 20th will be his two episodes with us for master planner amazing spider-man 31 32 and 33 if you'd like to contact the show let us know what you think about everything that we've been doing here the email address is amazing spider-man classics at gmail.com the website is amazing spider-man.libsen.com you can leave comments on the show postings there and there's also a link to the facebook page on that site so you can like us and follow along with the show's news and updates on facebook hope you had a merry christmas or happy holiday or just general winter or summer fun depending on what part of the world you are in I would invite you again to check out my new show starting in a week on January 1st. The premiere episode of Golden Age Superman will be on the Superman Podcast Network at fortressofbailitude.com slash supermanpodcastnetwork or goldenagesuperman.libsen.com. And eventually, of course, it will hit iTunes, but the first episode of a show always takes a little while to show up on iTunes. So I don't know when exactly that's going to hit. But it is set to go live January 1st, uh, first thing in the morning. So, again, Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Good night. Spider-Man!